Reset your baseline. In blood black nothingness began to spin. A system of cells interlinked within cells interlinked within cells interlinked within one stem. Fuck off, good job. And dreadfully distinct against the dark, a tall white fountain played. Cells. Cells. Have you ever been in an institution? Cells. Cells. Do they keep you in a cell? Cells. Cells. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you long for having your heart interlinked? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you dream about being interlinked? Interlinked. What's it like to hold your child in your arms? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you feel that there's a part of you that's missing? Interlinked. Interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Why don't you say that three times? Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. We're done. Constant K. You can pick up your bonus. Thank you, sir. Cool. Have you read Pale Fire? Man, no. I haven't read any Vladimir Nabokov. Me neither. Are you, um, you strike me as someone similar to me in this regard that, um, you're very concerned if you're bringing a book in public, the yeah. public's reaction to, like, I used to read, I used to go to work on the bus for like a in the morning when I lived in Seattle and I'd always bring a book on the bus mm-hmm. and thought of like b- busting out Lolita on the bus. <laughs> Probably like a little bit like, <laughs> it's a, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, like you want to be like, like, it's like, it's like, it's about art, but they're, you know, there are reactions. Like I've often gone to the new Beverly with a book and I'm like really nervous about what book I'll be seen reading. Yeah. Like I feel you know, it's like you don't want to go show up with like with books of oh, um for some reason I was nervous about Master and Commander bringing that to the new Beverly to read before I, a movie. <laughs> I, feel... I don't want to be like accosted by like some like Jack Aubrey <laughs> fanatic. <laughs> a, a naval nerd yeah like what do you think about their book i don't know man i can it's barely english to me like, like reading oh, about man. their boats i i feel you or like um you know getting worried about like going to like the new bev with like a copy of like it or like the, yeah, like, I like, a, like, a, like the basic level Stephen i know King book yeah where... then, it, then you feel really basic yeah, it's yeah. like I, I read more stuff than this. I promise. I swear. I know I'm cooler than this. Like I read like hard boiled mysteries, and I read like Thomas Pinchon. I promise you. I promise you. <laughs> Please. Like I was nervous about reading the Oppenheimer biography because I was like, oh, you want to be that guy who's just kind of preparing for the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I brought a I I brought a book. So, like I try to bring a book as my little seat, you know, my seat uh, protector yeah. if I go. And I brought Zorba the Greek. See there, like, that's that's interesting. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Like, what? I wonder what that guy, what guy's deal is. Why is he picking that book up? Yeah, he likes literature, but not the normal stuff. He's a yeah, little he's, off the beaten path. He's a little off the beaten path. A little, little strange. This guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna do a little dance, probably. Who knows? And that was our um, 
idiosyncratic insecurities corner hello and welcome to the award-winning podcast the academy academy the show that discovers the absolute undeniable and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career i'm don saunderson and i'm patrick Gremion. welcome to the academy and you know patrick i got a question for you interlinked mm-hmm. interlinked interlinked interlinked, interlinked? with within cells interlinked <laughs> within cells interlinked don't get it. It's neat. I like I that part. It. I like I, it. <laughs> I, I don't understand. I, that is like in that way. That part of the movie, uh, kind of is to me. That is just a movie in a nutshell to me. Where it's like I am like simultaneously enthralled and a little confused and then on another level maybe i'm a little like miffed i don't know it's a lot going on it's interesting i really i like it anything i don't think this means anything at all that's the thing that's the thing it's like it wants to mean something so badly it wants to mean something so badly welcome to scott scott origins part three alien (laughs) covenant blade runner 2049 uh uh landmark year I would say 2017 in the world of Ridley Scott lore, I think, because mm. these movies both contain a lot of um, long-standing obsessions and a long, a lot of perhaps long-standing um, blind spots to Ridley Scott. Mm. Would you say? Uh, but also a lot of kind of like culminate. These are culminating movies too. Yeah, I feel like these movies. Um... A lot of uh, threads that have been percolating in Ridley Scott's mind get readdressed. A lot of the, uh, themes, like reoccurring themes, get readdressed in a big way in both of these films. Absolutely. And he's, oddly enough, at this, he's like 79 years old. That's crazy. Year, which is crazy. Crazy in so right? <laughs> Ridley Scott should be president instead of Biden. He is like very. I mean, he seems um, spry. Like, yes, you know, <laughs> always he seems pretty spry. Like, I'd be curious what his regiment is because he also seems like a guy who like still smokes and drinks and like eats yeah. steak and eats steak and stuff like that. Like, he doesn't seem like an East Woodian health nut or anything it, like that. It feels like he simultaneously, like, yeah, he'll he's like the type of person he's like that grandpa who has like a cigar and a bourbon every morning. I, then, yeah. At the same time, you could also be like, hey, want to go rock climbing, Ridley? And he'd be like, you know, all right, let's do it. I'm Yeah, yeah. Like, hit. It's a very, like, old school fitness level. Like, <laughs> like he's, he's nowadays, na- nowadays, like, if you, like, he's born in the 30s, so it's, like, a different time. I think nowadays, like, everyone is either, like, grossly unhealthy or grossly healthy. Yeah, like there is no like middle ground well, in there. Al- also, like in the fifties, being healthy meant you could like lift large crates and eat a lot of hamburgers. Like that was like it was just a different like it was totally different back then. Like we had no I, yeah, it was like a hundred push ups and two packs of Lucky Strikes a day. Yeah. Like that was like your diet. <laughs> like <laughs> your diet was like steak and cigarettes. Yeah. And- <laughs> 
And he, you know, would like jog for four miles every morning or something. But jogging was considered kind of weird and maybe oh, a little, maybe a little true. feminine, maybe a little feminine, little feminine. <laughs> so maybe not even jogging. Maybe you're just like out. You're you're like moving your your couch from one side of the room to the other, like Albert yeah. Brooks and Mother for like an hour away yeah. from everyone else because you don't want people to see you doing that. Uh, yeah, it was like, but it was also a time before. You know, he was also born before being neurotic was. Ex- like invented like <laughs> where neuroses was developed in 1975 yeah i know guys like like woody allen and albert brooks just got swirlies and were forgotten like, yeah. yeah they only dropped them in the toilet and they never came back out i know by the, the scott brothers were like throwing them in lockers in like 1942 <laughs> you know? It was, yeah, and like we've let nerdery. Yeah, well, Ridley Scott's mm-hmm. also like not a nerd. No, not at all. Yeah, but he's like, man. but he's smart though. That's the thing. Smart, he's a, but cur- not a nerd. curious guy, which I think it leads to these two movies, which are both very curious movies. Oh God, yeah, they're so curious. In a, you know whatever way you want to define that word. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like... but you know, not bad. It's not always bad. Like I don't know. Not I'm always excited. bad. Maybe not always good. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk all about these ones. So Alien Covenant, oddly enough, can just be rented as on Blu-ray. This seems like it should be on um, Max. Don't you think? Yeah, it feels like a Max. Feels, feels like a Max movie to me. God, it does. In the sense that, like, yeah, it's kind of like um, coasting on the uh, good whims of previously existing IP. Very <laughs> max, very 40, max. Something from 40 years ago. Yeah, yeah from the creators of uh, Velma and uh, Clone High, like, a, like where we yeah. rebooted this TV, this cartoon from, like, two decades gonna, ago for some reason. We're going to bring back Harry Potter, even though it's, like, five years old. We're making a new Lord of the Rings, even though those are like not that old either. It's crazy. Shouldn't you shouldn't have created the internet and let time stop if you wanted to like trick people into like memory holing stuff because everyone still watches this shit. Yeah, like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, despite Lord of the Rings actually being twenty years old now, does not feel like it's twenty. It feels like it's like five years old. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like, don't. Like, actually allowed time to pass. Yeah. I, my big indicator is everything post-Simpsons still feels kind of new. It does. Yeah. So when I... <laughs> I was born in 1982, the year of Blade Runner. Mm. 20 years prior was 1962, which, when I was born, felt like a million fucking years ago. Yes! <laughs> if you're born in 2002... Does like 1982 feel that old? Does 1992 feel that old? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But it's like, how does time pass? Like we were talking about that with the little one. We're we drive around and listen to Lithium on mm-hmm. Sirius XM, the 90s alternative rock channel. That's like our oh, favorite one. Yeah, great name for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. An app yeah. name. Yeah. We listened to it nonstop. And Jen was like, "This is gonna feel like." Is this gonna feel like Frank Sinatra or something to her? Hey, dude, this is something <laughs> I I stress about so much because, like, see, I was born in 1991, and it's like so much more embarrassing because at least the your year, generation still has punk, like the year punk broke. Mm, mm. True, 
Yeah, True. it's but like, but like, but 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 your like your stuff is at least still like kind of vaguely respectable. Like when I'm ninety, I'm gonna be in an old folks' home playing Halo with people. That's insane. It's wild. That is like, wild. I, I, like I see like so many. I have like friends that have like kids that like know who Goku is. Like that's fucked up. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's it is weird. Time time is a time is a weird thing. It's also yeah. yeah. If you think too much, think too hard on it, it gets a little funky. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, if we cut back to this time period, I think really, Scott, like, when a filmmaker gets older or a musician gets older, like a musician, we always used to talk about their death album. That always mm. make me like, oh, shoot, I just had, like, a minor or major health issue that wasn't related to partying. And that Ooh. makes me think, and I want to put out a record about it. So, like... um, the all-time version of that is Bob Dylan's Time Out of Mind, where he had a heart issue like two years prior and nearly dropped dead on the operating table. And so he makes this like death album that's also his like, comeback album. That's <laughs> like wow. a brilliant piece yeah. of work. And they've all done it like um, even recently Springsteen dropped Letters to You a couple years mm-hmm. back, which felt like his like, Jesus, I'm 70 kind of album. <laughs> like, right. They, they, I, they, I think this happens to a lot of artists, especially ones who've like been riding high. Mm-hmm. For a really long time and have had a ton of success and have not needed to be reminded of the finite nature of existence. Yeah. Like when you have that much money and that much praise, you can ignore it for a, for a, for a spell, I think. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, subconsciously bring it on like Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, he kind of like yeah. It seems like he's in wrestling with these. Like, yeah. doesn't like, want to admit to it, but he's jumping off of cliffs at sixty to like think about it. It is yeah. Way. He's been, he's making all the people around him have those moments. Yeah, <laughs> like vicariously. Like, yeah, we talked about about uh, going back to our Irishman episode. I think Scorsese Ooh, has been thinking yeah. quite a bit about it with like, movies like Silence and Irishman. Yeah, but then you get to the other side, like Dylan. And you're just like playing with house money. And so you get to have like all sorts of crazy like dreams and put out all sorts of stuff. And I think that's what Killers of the Flower Moon feels Ooh. like to me. It's like, why not? I'm on the other side of these like yep. late period. Like I've summed up this. So let's let's play with house money and see what happens. It's like <laughs> I put a, yeah, I kind of put a period on my long, uh, you know, essay about the state of the mafiosa in America yeah. or whatever. And it's yeah. Time to move on to new themes, baby. And the the god Clint doing it in the early nineties with Unforgiven and seemingly the next thirty years, but like doing yes. like whatever. Like he made that movie about those guys stopping the train heist with the real gods. It's insane. 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 And then he makes Richard Jewell. And then I know. he and then he makes Cry Macho. Yeah. Insane. And he's making a movie as we speak. Oh, like he's man. on set right now. That's like, crazy. That's a, like that's the glory as an artist when you like that's truly you've made it when you're on the other side. Like, see what Spielberg does after Fablemans, which Fablemans was his. Yeah. Oh man. You know. Can't let's wait. see. Yeah. Let's see what he does on the other side of that. But these, I think, are Ridley's. These two mm-hmm. movies, I think, are his. Yeah. Like, although I think the last one we're gonna get to, we haven't gone there yet, is the last duel. Mm. And based on my like sight unseen guess Mm. that I think the last duel is his because he has to do one of these or maybe maybe it'll be gladiator two, maybe yeah it'd be gladiator two I feel like I'm so or is he 
that deep of a thinker. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because <laughs> I think like I think Scorsese is. Yeah. I think Clint Eastwood subconsciously is. Mm-hmm. Like Clint has the same vibe as Cruz. And I think that the reason is that because they are tours who are also stars. Yeah. And that makes a difference because they are visual as well as like artistically represented. Mm-hmm. Like you see them. You see what you see Clint Eastwood, you know Clint Eastwood. They but, they they in themselves are like an icon and a brand. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Whereas like a director is a little more I mean Scorsese and Scott are certainly stars in their own right. Right. But uh you know it can be a little more anonymous though, even like, you know, like just the fact that they're not on screen for like ninety typically in their mm-hmm. films, like gives them a little leeway to, you know, play around more yeah. in ways that you couldn't if you're like the star of the film. But I think Ridley Scott's the kind of guy he's I think he's what we've learned about him is that I think he is a seeker, but he's too much of a pragmatist yeah. to let himself all the way into that zone. Because you have I to be th- a little weird. Mm-hmm. You have to be a little perverse. You have to be a little vulnerable too. Exactly. Yeah, and I don't think he's a particularly vulnerable guy. Yeah, he like um, yeah, he comes off I think to a certain degree as a guy who like snorts at the hoity-toity. Yeah, and um, there's like some valid that validity in that uh take. Ooh, had a cough, but uh, that's a really a- um, pro pro zoom move though to be ready on the uh muting button oh yeah like that oh, wow. i i'm not even there yet and i'm a regular zoom user <laughs> oh i'm a i'm a i'm i'm learning my skills are improving <laughs> so one day you'll hear a no you'll have a cough free pod we're getting you, there folks you get monetized that somehow i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but uh uh but uh uh i think like he yeah, I think you need to be able to. He he won't take it. He he. It's it's fine to take the piss out of like you know higher meaning my meaningful things occasionally. But I think like if you really want to be like that next level, you have to be able to kill the part of yourself that rolls its eyes at things. Like you have to really. Yeah, it's it's tough for some people. I, agree. I feel like it's yeah. tough for Ridley. I think it it requires like, and I think this is what this is what makes. I mean, this is what makes Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. like, arguably the best mm-hmm. because he is willing to lean in on the unknown and his both his confidence and his fears in going into that. Like, you watch Irishman, you watch Silence, you're like, oh, no, this is a guy struggling. Mm-hmm. It's all on screen. And they're so personal, despite mm-hmm. the, you know, and it's him struggling with, it's, uh, it sounds like, I mean, like, it's so interesting that the greatest purveyor of, like, gangster violence is also the one who I think is against it the most. And Usually. fearful of it the most. And fearful of violence and fearful of capitalism. And well, like, that, that yeah. the most. I truly don't get how, like, I mean, I guess I could kind of see it with Goodfellas a little bit. But, even but Goodfellas, with Goodfellas is just so funny. But at the same time, it's like they are so pathetic. They all suck. Like every yeah. like you look at like a Goodfellas Casino and the Irishman and Mean Streets and yeah. Taxi. Like none of these people are like like happy or content to any none, degree. And they're killing their friends. Yes. Nonstop. 
constantly. They're constantly. rarely they they rarely kill like an outsider in any of those no. movies. It's all like inside jobs. Like it's and it's like I mean like do you and it, and it's also like what is like I don't know critics of these movies like do you want like the do you want like the director just to flat out say that like yeah oh, man this is bad like they do ugh, that's the ugh. modern era like that's like and that's getting into let's get into these because I think that's like the difficulty here in these yeah. is that they want to they want to be ambiguous they want to like bring up big questions but it's also like we are like summer blockbusters that cost a lot of money we have to get asses in the seats and i think mm-hmm. what's interesting about both these is that neither of them actually did they are both considered financial disappointments yeah it's funny hey blade runner like it's previous you know yeah hey, because the second i walked out of blade runner 2049 when i saw it i looked at jen and i was like i don't think there's a big audience for this movie and I don't know, and I think that this is one of those things, like, I always use, like, the best example of, like, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Mm. Somehow people talk themselves into that that was a big deal among regular audiences. No. Well, it's, the, here's the thing. The people that are fans of Blade Runner and Scott Pilgrim are way more online than the average Joe. And they work, or they work in the industry. Yep, it's As artificially like inflated. Yeah, and they talk themselves into it. So they're, you know, I think like, yeah, they don't, so they don't truly know. Like, you read all of these articles about like how perplexed everyone is about the success of Yellowstone. Oh, like, yeah. every one of those media articles is like, I can't, this was a dead genre. I can't believe this. It's like, oh, because it turns out more people watch TV than people who live in New York and Los Angeles. Yeah, that's all there is to it, and it's not cool. That's the other thing. Like the like Blade Runner twenty forty nine feels cool. Mm, it is as cool. It is as cool, but to the rest of the like, to a lot of the country, it's like it's impenetrable. <laughs> yeah, it's in except the parts where it just like you know really just like spells where it's just like i am a god who created the world and and that's like and then i think most of the country if it's when it's not impenetrable they're rolling their eyes in it they're pulling it yeah but this is like hollywood you know pretentious hollywood claptrap yeah you know which kind of mm. is yeah <laughs> you know? a little bit a little bit <laughs> like we have which is hey man like i said that's part of you have to kill the eye roller in you yeah you do yeah. and i think if you're trying to create a cult classic, you probably shouldn't spend 180 million dollars on it. Yeah. To begin although, with. Although, man, it, it looks well, it looks so good. That's the money is on the screen. On the, <laughs> the, screen. the money is on the screen. Yes. Yeah, I like. I don't know. Like, it is one of those things. Although, like, it's funny because, like, on one hand, it doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes. The visuals, like, it's like, why does this? Why are people this way? What is like the what is this aesthetic? But like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. So, um, as we mentioned on the previous episode, really Scott was playing with the idea of a Prometheus sequel mm. prior to the Martian, but then the Martian came together quite quickly and the Martian proved, as we mentioned to be one of his actually, you know, greatest successes. 
Yeah, it's like it, it wins on all fronts. It's like a, a good movie. Audiences love it. It's just a solid success all around. Yeah, if slightly impersonal, but who cares? Because it's yeah. like it's like a good. It's a it's a soda classic. Yeah. Oh, dude, you leave. It's like the warmth of a soda. You leave yeah. feeling. Yeah. You're high-fiving your friends. I'm so glad <laughs> Mark Watney made it home. Maybe he can find a family now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe he can find yeah, or any connection in life, like any any human contact besides you know, I don't know Iron Man or whatever nerdy thing he he enjoys. <laughs> he's gonna go. He's gonna go back home to his Funko Pops. That's what's gonna happen. Yeah, I get home. It's like yeah, Mark Watney <laughs> turns out to be a weird guy. He goes back home and it's just fifty fifty. Cases he de- of, he, like, he definitely he definitely is one of these guys who like so like goes on Twitter. Like the worst case scenario is the Dilbert guy mm. of like who became successful or showed expertise in like one very specific area and then decides to declare themselves a crappy public intellectual who has to weigh in on everything yeah. to the point where it becomes you know weird because <laughs> he, he, he makes like you know he makes a, co- a successful comic about a, an office drone and a weird with a weird tie and then he thinks he's neander wallace he's like yeah he's like at that level he's like he's like in the weird like you know his scott adams is in his weird waterlogged dojo like very, you know a, a waxing very, poetic about religion a, a very modern thing a very yeah. modern trend in which you think because you are successful in one very specific, fairly minor, mm-hmm. but still successful enough that you make a living off of it. Yeah, big um, living. Big living. That you, for some reason, have the right and the knowledge to comment on and have expertise on everything. Yeah, I, it's yeah, like I, I bet like if we went on Scott Adams's Twitter feed right now, if he's still on Twitter, uh, there would be some wonderful hot takes. Not wonderful, stupid hot takes about uh by wonderful I meant stupid. Uh hot on takes that about uh submarine. Oh, the submarine yeah. or uh the current like the whole Wagner group situation yeah. in Russia. Like he would a hundred percent and they would all be wrong because yeah. he's not qualified for any of that shit. And it turns it's... us all into armchair warriors. I know it, it, it tried to democratize thought, but it just made everyone stupider. Anyway, <laughs> so really, that was right high on the mush. So he's like, "Let's do, let's get to another alien movie." But mm-hmm. I think he's been pretty like forthcoming on this mm-hmm. that he was a tad spooked by the response to Prometheus. Mm that he felt it was like he was interested in the questions unanswered but he was a little like people were you know maybe we pushed this whole like is it an alien movie is it an alien movie thing right too far and it left people a little like distanced so um he was really interested and the david character stuck with him too um early on in development um they took on new writers and in case damon lindelof did not want to return because they liked we were talking about this off screen kind of the lost 
J.J. Abrams' world of bad robot writers and producers who kind of took over yeah. the, like, they all thought these guys were, like, utter geniuses. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. All and... these, like, there's, like, yeah, 20 of these, um, these, like, yeah, these guys who are very good at, like, um, they're elevator pitch artists. They're very yeah. good at, like, they get you in that elevator and they're like, hmm, what if they're... cowboys put in space? Yeah, they're they're really really good at like the big concept kind of things, mm-hmm. but like as we saw with like almost all of their projects, like kind of empty suits, kind of finishing the job to mm-hmm. for a satisfying conclusion was like a little more difficult. I think like on the high end, you could look at like I think Drew Goddard, his two films as a writer director and his writing on The Martian, I think he's pretty damn good. I think he genuinely, and I say this with all, I think he represents, like, the peak of that world. I think yeah. there aren't that many, like, you know, maybe, like, parts of Super 8 I kind of like. Like all the, Honestly, the, what's funny is the parts of Super 8 I like the most were just the parts with the kids playing or, like, you know, making their fake movies or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I almost wish the movie was, like, a stand-by-me type of thing as opposed to a dumb, like, and then they have to, because that's the thing, they always have to throw in some insane wrench. There's, there's differentiate that, themselves, and they are ultra beholden to nostalgia. The oh, ten, God. the ten movies they watched as kids: Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Blade Runner, The Thing, Goonies, um, Goonies. There's Back some the other future. Back to yeah. the Future. Yeah, Back to the Future would definitely be in there. There's a few others that we're probably missing, but that's kind of yeah. Jaws. Oh, that's, um, that's... Those are kind of the um, ET. The heart. Oh, one of them is weirdly fatal attraction. Like, yeah, I one. Jeez, well. <laughs> Judging, judging by how sexless all their <laughs> movies are, doubt it. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait. The move, the tenth movie on this list is Streets of Gold. I know. Yeah, it's like we're 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 you know. I know you guys love Ridley Scott, man. Where are the Black Rain heads out there? You know? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, where's yeah? Where are my Fear City boys? What if yeah, there was yeah. her on there? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, if, like if these guys are growing up with like yeah, like Abel Ferrara and like Tony. They've been Tony heads. Like Ugh. maybe maybe they would have been a little funky. Maybe they would have Although... like, like they we all wanted we all we want to do is like find out what happened to Bruce Willis's character from The Last Boy Scout. I do. Yes! <laughs> like, you know, I want to see get him, like on, a... get, him, get him and Damon Wayne's another case. Like, yeah, the last boy scout rides again. Like I want to see that movie. But no, like they like these like handful of movies. They don't seem curious intellectually. Mm-hmm. In any other sense beyond the parameters of this batch of successful movies. And I think like the apex of this seems to be and I like it this show, don't get me wrong. I enjoy the nostalgia of is Stranger Things. Which is like literally yeah. like a complete like blender is, of these ten movies. Genuinely like God, and you know what? Like, and I like it too. So maybe this is being a bit too harsh. I don't. I don't want to be too mean, but it is like, yeah, it is feels like the reheated slop. It is like the. It is very like that. Like, like I think it is at the like most negative, which is not necessarily you could call it that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, and but then there's like good stuff. Like I like the acting in it, and like I watched every season. So I don't like. I don't like. I, mean, I think there's looking like great forward, work. looking forward to how they close the thing out. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, what's up with the what's up with the old uh, was it nine, eleven, eleven? Yeah, I go. think, but yeah, I think it's saved. Like, genuinely, like great casting, and it's sincere. Yeah, it doesn't that's, feel that um. David Herbert's lo- great. 
yeah, he is great. Yeah. Um, I think it doesn't feel strictly like a cash in like a lot of these things can be. Like you know I think what? like the, the... I think like the like I haven't seen it, but like the ghoulishness of how people have received the flash. Yeah. Seems so... to be like on the op opposite end of that spectrum. I'm so tempted. I don't want to go into a theater and give it funny. But I do want to like find. I I need to see. Uh, you know, four dollars and ninety nine cents, or watching it on Max in a few months. Yeah, that uh, is true. Give it like 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 what? It's gonna what be else? no. Give it's it gonna it be one max. Month. It's gonna yeah. be a max in like a month. Yeah, so, it'll literally yeah. be on month. But I do want to like. Oh God, like that annoying. Yeah, yeah, that's like that's like that's like the worst end of it. But I think true. the best end of it is actually if we get back into the two today. Yeah, like, but it's still not perfect, folks, because it's not mm -hmm. new. But anyway, yeah, uh, Damon Lindelof did not return because mm -hmm. he was a little concerned, chose not to work on it in December of 2012. Mm -hmm. um, apparently, Ridley Scott was already spouting off in the press that there would be no Xenomorphs in 2012. <laughs> Went back on that. Uh, but then he later made say, like, after the feedback on Prometheus, like, yeah, we're going to have Xenomorphs in this one <laughs> like he just I, and i like so the in 2015 they disclosed that the title was going to be alien paradise lost which i like yeah i like it That's um really good well and like yeah what it alludes to too wow, what wow. it alludes yeah uh, but it was a little too hyper mm -hmm. mm, yeah it probably is mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's a, it's a smidge it's neat though but anyway, by 2015, it was Alien Covenant. Uh, they went through a variety of screenwriters. The original screenwriter was the guy who wrote. So we talked about about that movie Passengers. Remember that one? The oh, Jennifer yeah, Lawrence, Chris, Chris Pratt, Pratt one. Yeah. John Spates, who will come up later on the episode. John Spates is not our guy, though. We've got Jack Peglin who wrote the original draft of Transcendence, another high-end sci-fi movie that just didn't cross the line. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, that was like Wally uh, Feister's first go at it. And last. Ooh, poor yeah. guy. I know, poor guy. Can't win, can't win them all. Can't win them all, I guess. Uh, but uh, this was another, like, hot, like, uh, from this era, like, high-concept sci-fi script. Mm -hmm. It got, you know, it tricked a lot of studio people into like getting these people into a lot of rooms. No offense to any of these people. They that's is this is this is this is how Hollywood should still be. Yeah. <laughs> like it, they should still take swings. Because sometimes you do end up with a movie like Alien or Blade Runner. Yeah. Like, we want we want that next generation film to happen. So like yeah, it's okay yeah. to like, you know, follow you know, if someone comes up to you screaming about cowboys and aliens, give them give them the go maybe not that one, but like <laughs> other Yeah, but so um in twenty fourteen Michael Green was hired to rewrite Peglin's script. Michael oh. Green, as you might note, is a writer is a credited writer on both of our films today. So good year in twenty seventeen. Like, hopefully seeming... hopefully Hopefully, Michael Green owns a wonderful West Side house based on his year in 2017. He has, like, a finger in every pie, this dude. He does seem to. Yeah, he's, like, um, it's this world of, like, guys who, like, TV got. I mean, he even wrote a Sex in the City. Whoa! Which is 
Yeah, but a ton of TV. He wrote. Oh, I mean, heroes. He, he he wrote on Heroes. He wrote on Smallville, but he's also like, he writes all of the Poirot movies with Kenneth Branagh. Really? Too. Yeah, and um, I am really pumped for this one that he's a co-writer on that's coming out on Netflix later this year called Carry On. Uh, directed by that director, uh, Hame, uh, call it Sarah, who wrote, who did like Orphan and House of Wax and a bunch of Liam Neeson, like unknown and nonstop and run all night. And he is like, like a, that. yeah, he's like one of those guys that's been able to carve a little niche for himself in a fun like way. He's like B level one. So he's got this one coming out on Netflix called Carry On, a mysterious traveler blackmails a young TSA agent to let a dangerous package slip through security onto a Christmas Day flight. Rocket Man himself, Taron Egerton, plays the TSA agent and Jason Bateman plays the mysterious traveler. I want to see this movie. Ooh, I like, I love Jason Bateman as a baddie. I'm so I I like him as a baddie. Like, I think he should play baddies more often. But, um, like, that sounds like a movie that came out in the nineties, does it? Not? Yes, yeah, you know? like, <laughs> like, yeah, that's a hundred percent. Like that's like a Passenger Fifty Seven ass film. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I bet it's like a solid one hundred minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, bring it on. That's what we want. You yeah. know, we, they don't all need to be the be all end all. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, Michael Green rewrote it, and then a guy by the name of Dante Harper wrote it, and then there was extensive rewrite by John Logan, who wrote Gladiator. Mm. Who was one of the writers on Gladiator. Yeah. Um, Logan wanted the dual plot line. He was the one who brought in this dual plot line element of the horror elements of Alien with the philosophical elements of Prometheus. Now, I see the point. Yeah. Um, I think um, trying to recap, like... We're heading into this is 2017. Nostalgia as the driving force of everything is already here mm-hmm. in Hollywood. So you want to get those, get the taste of what all you loved about Alien, but try to infiltrate as much as possible with the interesting kind of deeper implications of Prometheus, which we're still, as we covered on that episode, not all the way there. Yeah, it was with. like. It's a very Damon Lindelofian kind of thing. Like, oh, that's a great idea. Did you go hard enough into your soul to actually like raise some like d- deeper questions? I don't yeah, know. it's it's like you've made this uh, you've made this wonderful pool, but if I you know cannonball into it, am I going to find out it's only two feet? You know, two feet t- two feet deep and break my butt. Like indeed. <laughs> it, indeed. So the final yeah. credit screenwriters on the film are John Logan and Dante Harper, with story by Jack Peglin and Michael Green, based on characters, of course, created by the gods Dan O'Badden and Ronald Shusett. Oh, yeah. Um One interesting thing about this that I didn't pick up on until I was reading the Nathan book that David and Walter are named after David Geiler and Walter Hill. Ah, doy, doy. Right, doy, doy, yeah. right there. A couple yeah. dumb, couple dumb dumbs. Right, you <laughs> didn't pick up on that. One. Yeah, <laughs> who are still oh, the boy. producers on this movie, and I think are increasingly like annoying producers to 
Ridley Scott and company, because basically I think that they like did one of these whole things in 1979 of like, yeah, we own this. Oh, so you're man. always going to have to deal with us. What kind of deal? <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, David and Walter, their characters aren't perceived in the most flattering light for various reasons. Yeah. Although I mean, they, they are, are the like, best parts of the movie. Yes, but they are like these old school tough guy Hollywood guys yeah. who probably are like, yeah, you can do another alien. I'm doing the money sign in my pay us. Yes, for the, for the... <laughs> pay, pay us and credit us accordingly. <laughs> like... uh, fingers make money motion. Yeah. And I think that Ridley Scott is like almost certainly annoyed with that. But regardless, yeah. they're involved too. So um, our movie, Covenant, opens mm-hmm. up, I think, with a uh, 11 years after. The, Prome- the Prometheus expedition as covered a couple weeks ago. We open with the colonization ship. And I one thing I like about the Alien series is the ships always have neat names. Mm-hmm. Like they, <laughs> maybe a little nail on the head of yeah. what the theme of the movie is, but I don't care. I like no, it. Covenant's a great name for like, yeah, it's cool. And this one is a colonization ship filled Ooh. with crew members, colonists, 2,000 colonists in stasis and 1,100 human embryos in cold storage. They're heading toward um, a planet called Orijai 6. Is that Orijai? Is that how it was pronounced? I think. Uh, yeah, I'd say that's right. That sounds right. Yeah, or Orijai or Orijai. Yeah, which, um, you know, basically is a uh, inhabitable planet. Yeah, that they can recreate Earth essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the ship is monitored by Walter, uh, uh, advanced android model that. Oh wait a second, is played by Michael Fassbender, mm-hmm. who we remember, of course, as the as the malevolent, like yeah. scheming android David from Prometheus. A- everyone's favorite Lawrence of Arabia reciting cad David. I... See, that's like the glory. It's like you can make these wild choices, but then like it's a little too safe beyond that. I, but anyway, um, Fastbender was brought in immediately to reprise the role um, as Walter, and this is kind of one of the tricks of the film. Of course, is that oh, he's not playing David; he's playing a different android. That's interesting. Also on board the ship is our is. Daniels, one of the crew members who is played by Catherine Watterson, who kind of broke out a couple years prior to that in Inherent Vice. Mm. And is also um, Steve Jobs' nagging ex-girlfriend in the film Steve Jobs with Michael Fassbender. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin special right there. Oh, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's like as a, as a you're always going to find the nagging. <laughs> True character in a Sorkin film, just as a uh, just as reliable as a you know walk and talk scene. I I know is the <laughs> is the is the female character just getting in the way of a man's genius, right? Oof. Yeah, poor Jeff Newsroom. Yeah, Jeff Newsroom, Steve Jobs. It's just like <laughs> annoying to that. Oh, Aaron Sorkin, boy, blind spot, <laughs> blind spot in your writing, my man. <laughs> like <laughs> anyway, um. 
and Daniels is like from the jump. If you've watched an alien movie before, clearly our Ripley surrogate character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, kinda, and- you both need this character, but it's also kind of a little like obvious at this point. Well, and it, this one, it feels like the most, um, and maybe it's because at this point, like this character, we're so like, we're so um, accustomed to this character that they just kind of like take it for granted that you know her deal. But mm-hmm. that feels like more than any other character of this mold, she is like kind of a blank slate. Like a bit. I think like one of the interesting, so one of the interesting things about the crew in this movie is that they are all couples. Which is kind of a neat. Oh yeah, I do yeah. really, I do really that like that. Cool. And in the beginning, there, um, there's an accident in kind of recharging the ship, which causes a fire, and mm-hmm. Daniel's husband is killed immediately. Daniel's yeah. husband, of course, is played in an uncredited, wildly distracting, James Franco. Yeah, <laughs> great. Uh, you know, hey, bullet dodged. Yeah, bullet dodged on that one. <laughs> bullet, bullet dodged. And we get to see him in a little bit of a little bit of a flashback <laughs> stuff. But so she opens the movie heartbroken. Um. So, but also leads to kind of um because James Franco was going to be our um captain mm-hmm. and kind of the leader of this colonization exposition upon arrival on this new planet but since he's dead he's the first officer replaces him and that is chris orham played by billy crudup now billy crudup has perhaps the most interesting yet kind of skimmed surface character in this movie because yeah. he's like basically a um <laughs> he's basically a like born again christian yeah character and he thinks, you know, I think that that's a really interesting thing. But this also gets to kind of Ridley, Ridley Scott's kind of contempt of zealot, especially Ooh. Christian zealot characters. Yeah, zealotry. Yeah, his like, yeah, I think like, yeah, he def- it definitely gets to like, I feel like Faith really gets a, takes an L in this movie in any capacity. Faith takes an L. Um, or, or, but here's the thing, though. Like the the only faith that like really like gets to win is the David's faith in himself. Himself, that's like self created gods, and really Scott is a self created god. Going back yeah. to almost his conservative, like hands off kind of style. <laughs> like <laughs> anyway, oh, stuff. we spoiled it too, David. We said the name David, but anyway, he's there. His wife is played by um, Carmen Ijogo who plays Kareen, who's the ship's biologist, also yeah. on board. Um, boy, you dream of an alien movie in which these two are the leads, but it's not the case because it's so, like, wild. The pilot of The Covenant is Tennessee, played by Danny McBride. Um, awesome yeah. casting, because why not? Yeah. Why not? You know, <laughs> It's great, and he's just... It's so funny, like, how... His character is basically just a a, su- a more subdued version of his typical Danny McBride uh, bravado why, shtick, yeah. which rules. Why not? That's yeah, fun. That's that a, that's rules. really fun. It adds and spice. He, his wife is played Maggie, uh, the pilot of the lander, is played by the great Amy Simons, who is like, you know, like a mumblecore actress and director. 
and that kind, of, you know, and like directs her own stuff. She got fired from that weekend. Oh yeah, so, hey, good too. for her. Think, honestly, speaking of dodging bullets, I think she's okay. I think yeah, yeah. I, I win. Not a, not a fun scene from what from what I understand to be on the set yeah. of that show. Yeah, uh, Max, uh, never go full Levinson. Never. He he sounds like a fun guy. Yeah, he kind of feels like he's like in the mold of another uh, son of a yeah. famous director. In the mold, yeah. I yeah. love, I like, he apparently, when he made his directorial debut and it played at Sundance, he was like, I've been through so much and I worked so hard to get here. I'm like, your dad directed Rain Man. Like, how, yeah. hard, how hard was it? Like, you're fine. Yeah, your dad is like, has at very least he's been nominated. Did he win an Oscar for yeah. Rain Man? I think yeah. he won. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, boohoo! Yeah. It, it's the whole uh, all these boohoo, boohoo, boo boo, crying motion, crying motion. Um. Also <laughs> on board the ship is um the great uh, actor Demian Bichir. Oh, so good. Head of security, and mm-hmm. his husband Nathaniel Dean. I like oh. that. That was that was a neat. That that uh, the two heads of security are a gay couple. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, fun twist. Uh, also on board is that guy, Juicy or Jesse? I thought it was Juicy. Juicy Jesse Smollett. <laughs> Juicy Smollett. <laughs> Juicy. Yeah, I never heard his name out loud. Like uh, Juicy. Hey, that's fair. Like, that's... Probably more famous now as being the guy who like rigged a like entire like hate crime against himself. <laughs> it's yeah. What an arc that guy. Wild. What I a... don't. We don't even like. I mean, who's who, who knows? Who the hell's to who the hell's to say on that? I mean, that that whole thing was just that was a morass. Only in America. Uh, I don't yeah. know. Hey, you know what, Jesse? I hope they bring you back somehow for Alien Covenant too, baby. I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. it. Yeah, his character seems pretty. Uh, yeah, and his little... fate in the, his fate in the movie is pretty. Pretty sealed. Yeah. Um, Pretty sealed, yeah. It's almost and he, as if, and yeah. he's married to communications officer Upworth, played by Callie Hernandez. Oh, great so, actor. Noted on Wikipedia, also has paramedic training. Just oh. heads up. Just heads up on that. You know. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Go ahead. I, I was just say she. I think she's in La La Land. She's like one of the Amy, Emma Stone's friends. It's so crazy how all of Emma Stone's friends in La La Land have like now like each have kind of gone on and done their own thing to a certain degree. Yeah. No. Yeah, big big like movie. A, yeah, big, Jessica Roth, Son, Sonia Mizuno, I think was the other one. Like, oh, man, man, you're big, just big. like a like a Gatling gun, firing off Emma Stone's friends from La La Land. Well, mm. the secret is that uh, that part of my brain that kept like information about like the names of my family members, and they just went to that. Like, I now. Lola L- Land is Patrick's new family. Yes, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Patrick's cornering people all over Los Angeles, telling them about the miracle of traditional jazz. Yeah, I really appreciate Ryan Gosling's character. He really, yeah. you know, spoke, he's in, sp- a... spoke spoke to you in a lot of different ways. Yeah, the uh, true jazz head, that guy. So anyway, but what we're seeing with this crew, their interactions. We're getting the spirit of like kind of this the first alien movie I think where we felt like, hmm, I feel like I've seen this before. Yeah, they're going. Yeah, it, it, it's like it, and it is kind of like yeah, they're going back to their roots a little bit. They're having the everyone hanging out at the table. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of working class 
Yeah. Kind of characters, grunts, if you will. Oh, how funny. Dan- Danny McBride, his character, has a weird cowboy hat. Yeah, mm-hmm. he wears a cowboy hat. You know, he yeah, he's kind of a combination of, um, like, Idris Elba meets Harry Dean Stanton. <laughs> well like here's the thing is like they don't that, make Harry that, com- that combination has never been made before yeah <laughs> that is i'd love to see that that's what david's working on in his lab <laughs> yeah um so they they um they get a word though that there's a off the off the radar another planet that could be inhabitable mm. um there's a brief there's an argument about whether to kind of land there um the um Daniels is like, we're on a mission. Let's not Yeah, let's not do we've this. Already, we've already my husband is already burnt up in a cell. Like yeah. I don't think we should like screw around anymore. But Chris Oram, Billy Crudup, is like, nah, let's go investigate it. And it's like, okay. Yeah, this is and you could feel it. You're already like, uh, I've seen this. I've seen this movie before. <laughs> yeah, and it's like one of those things too, where it's like, yeah, we've seen this before. We've done this dance before, and then I feel like, yeah, they try to kind of justify his choice by like he's a man of faith. He believes that this was maybe like an act that was supposed to happen or something. Mm-hmm. But it, it it feels a little gossamer. Like the justification is a little gossamer thin, just like a a little so- bit. They land on the planet, and unlike the Icelandic wasteland-type planet in Prometheus, this is a really beautiful green-type oh, planet. And Hannah to Ridley and his crew, as usual, everything looks awesome. Outstanding. Like, <laughs> I want to hang out. Like You're almost on like really crud-up side when you go, because it's like, oh, this is just a cool, great. like, and there's no bugs. It feels very Annihilation. Like, this is like, oh, this is a nice place. I, I like this yeah. uh this movie predates Annihilation, if I'm not mistaken, but um it's mm-hmm. there. Um the they get there though and there um immediately though blasted by fungus blasted by fungus blasted <laughs> by aliens. Seen it a million times, but have we seen it on this planet? Not as much. So um he gets two of the crew members, uh Ledward and Hallett are infected by spores. They're immediately sick as a dog. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Uh-uh. The spores oh, are bad. No. Yeah, they, they step on, like, fungal pods. That's yeah. their thing. They don't have, They don't even put their head inside of a goopy thing. Yeah. That, that's Spoiler, that's still to come. Ooh, um, yeah. So they're yeah. racing back to the transporter that Ferris drove in on. They get to the medic bay that Orem's wife, Kareen, is helping out in. They get quarantined in there, and we get our first. And this is where the moment where you're like, "Ooh, I'm digging this now," because all hell breaks loose almost immediately. It gets gross and ultra bloody, mm-hmm. like from the jump. Dude's back explodes. The alien comes out of its back and like spikes and stuff like that. Oh, it's man. terrific. Comes out of the back. Ferris sees it. She locks the door on poor Dr. Kareen. I mm. love, you know, it's a trope. I love the, we can't let you out of here. Yeah. And they're screaming it, through the glass and we're looking at them from the other side. We saw in The Rock. We've seen it in a bunch of movies. It's a great tension. It's all, and, it always works. 
Yeah. And, and you know what? And it, like, I get it. In that moment, it's like, yeah, I'd be so afraid if there was a giant xenomorph coming out of a dude. Like, I would not want to open that door. I would not want There's blood everywhere. It's going crazy. And what I dig is how fast things go really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Like, you think, like, oh, like, Amy Simonson, Car- Carmen and Jogo. Like, oh, they're, like, we've seen them before in other movies. Yeah. No, it's like face hugging her. They like it's ripping her to shreds in the medic bay, and then it escapes. And Amy Simons is like firing the gun all over the place. She just blows up the damn ship. She hits like a gas thing, and they all die. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, okay, and, and the she, alien thing escapes. The alien thing escapes. The alien thing's fine. A- Amy is not. She like is no. on fire, walking around for a second or two. Yeah, it gets blown up, yeah. like completely blown up, and they're like, uh oh. And Billy Crudup, who is like such a good actor, oh, he's so kind good. of a semi-thankless role in this one. Hard role to play. Like it's so because like, oh, you know what it's this just one tough. Does? You know what this one doesn't have a mm. company man character. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, interesting because that's, he, not, that's yeah. usually an aliens key, a key key part of the alien series that the company man character. Yeah, I mean, I guess like. He could make because who's the I guess Ash is the company man character in Alien. Yeah, yeah. Slash the robot. Yeah, yeah. And I think, but I think like David is starting to trying to start his own company in this one. Yeah, (laughs) that company is a new race of creature. (laughs) So they're stuck on the planet. They don't know what to do. They're getting attacked by an alien. Um, David saves Daniels from a real bad attack, but he gets his arm or not. David Walter gets his. He gets his arm ripped off, and then they're saved by a mysterious figure, Ooh. Sh- mysterious shrouded figure who's like, "Follow me!" And yeah. he's like dressed like a Jedi, dressed like a Jedi, barefoot though. Great stuff. Yeah. Uh, it rolls. He takes him to this like, like, like amphitheater filled with crust, like insane production design, filled with all of these like, like mummified bodies. Basically, it's crazy, and it's insane. He takes him in there, takes off the hood with long hair. Long, the bleach job is not looking great, but long hair, it's David from Prometheus. And you're like, ooh, this is interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, ooh, this movie has become spicy. Interesting. Yeah. Also, you're like, robots can grow hair. Okay. And robots can grow hair. Yeah. Uh, Which rules. I am team robot growing and cutting hair. That's insane. Yeah. Well, they got to make them real. Yeah. To the point where they have an infinite supply, apparently, of fake hair. But anyway. I I like it, though. I think that's a fun. That's crazy. I like that. That's just. I don't think. I don't. Yeah. Like Ryan Gosling's hair is so well manicured in um, Blade Runner 2049. He must be going to get haircuts. Every other day, yeah, he's probably getting a haircut once a once a day or twice, you know, twice yeah. a week or something at the very it's least. Very, it's, yeah, hair... it's very like tight. Probably <laughs> goes to his friend Doc Badger to get a haircut. Yeah. The yeah. character, everyone's the kid, favorite uh, character, Doc character, Badger. Doc Badger. Um, <laughs> so they discover David, and David is from the jump. No, no, no. <laughs> he has, in the eleven years since Prometheus, <laughs> the guard has been let down a bit on David's like actual intentions and yeah. he's had 
he has had time to think about things. <laughs> like Ben he's a you get the stinker vibes are emanating profusely from this man from this machine. But I think like that's the interesting thing. Michael Fassbender is really really good as playing like a bad guy, mm. like a mustache twirly bad guy. Oh yeah, he's good at evil. He's a good yeah, he's, he's a good bad guy. Yeah. And I think like. Because I was thinking, like, if Ridley Scott had directed Blade Runner 2049 in 2017, would Michael Fassbender have played K instead of Ryan Gosling? Maybe. I don't know. That's a good question. And There's I, something. You and I, I, I think uh, that would have been a huge mistake. Yeah, I think I think here's the thing. Uh, Michael Fassbender, great. He's not boyish in any capacity. He's very much like I think you need a little bit of that. Like I think there's like a youthful, uh, uh, a youthfulness to Ryan. Even with his beard, you need I a think, little bit of that. I think he's too European. Ooh, I think he. Despite Gosling being Canadian, he's got like the Harrison Ford American guy mm. swagger. Yeah, that I think it's necessary too. Well, and like a naivete, like there's yeah. like a little bit of a like, uh, like he thinks he's on top. I think like the thing is, you look at Michael Fassbinder, and you see a guy who's like always on top of his shit, and like he knows what's up. And he can't be tricked. Can't be tricked, except with you know the one famous movie where he got he got fairly tricked. tricked. He got fairly tricked a few weeks ago with the counselor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He got, that was a big old trick. That was a trick yeah. of the week. <laughs> Of the week, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, also, like that, like that, that works though because it's a juxtaposition. If you got a guy like Reiner talking sweet nothings into your ear, how the deal's gonna be just fine? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I, 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 oh I, yeah, I, everyone I, would be tricked. You trick, yeah. yeah you trick, uh, you trick. You know, Magnus Carlson, the the, yeah. the chess king or whatever. Yeah, Everyone's tricked. Yeah, you got a Reiner showing up. Um, yeah, talking the, about cars. David presents to a series of characters. He's fairly quick to begin revealing that he's been up to some things in the previous 11 years. And mainly those things include a lot of genetic engineering. Yes, and (laughs) and entire civilization. An entire civilization both created, destroyed, and then created again, it seems like. Yeah, like, oh, God. We get a flashback it's... of him unleashing hell on the all those people we saw encased and frozen in time. It's because he killed them. Yeah. It's and crazy. It's really unfortunate. It's both amazing and really unfortunate that that wasn't one of the key things in the entire movie. Yeah, the fact that it's almost like the cinematic equivalent to a footnote. Yeah. Like you get this one scene where like, and it's like, it's so, and I love like, there is like a part of me where like I do on one hand love the um, mysteriousness of it. Like you can't really tell, are these like the OG aliens? Is this mm-hmm. just like another planet uh, of different people that were like, you know, seeded or whatever? Like you're not like, it's kind of left to you. Uh, it's left to the the viewer to determine like what the 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 um, significance of this like other society is, but then mm-hmm. like it's I think the significance a... is what the power of what's to come that he could do yeah. that to human beings. Yeah, like, is... and David has willed himself as we saw the, the beginnings of Prometheus into becoming a god. Yeah, who can create and destroy 
however he chooses, and he has become megalomaniacal. Yeah, well, and he's it. also yeah, and megalomaniacal, and also so contemptible for his origins. He like the fact I think it like the thing that he hates him more than anything that he was made by, by someone. someone weak in his yes. mind. Yes, that because he sees humans as completely weak, and yet he is beholden to them mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, and when he meets Walter, the old and this is awesome. This is like the greatest stuff in the entire movie. He has. To the point of being attracted to Walter because the only thing he can truly be attracted to and love is himself. And they do this scene where he teaches Walter how to play the theme from Prometheus on the flute. It's so crazy. I kind of love it, actually. It's one of those things where I was like, this is insane. So it's one of the, maybe the most, maybe outside of White Squall, Mm -hmm. the most homoerotic thing. Ridley Scott has ever put on screen. Yeah, oh, by far. But and the fact that it's like someone ostensibly kissing themselves, or like, yes, you know, or but like. But it's also it's, with an actor uh, uh, interacting with themselves. It's crazy. And apparently they shot it with this remote camera that could just basically like spin between the two of them. And again, we said Fastbender should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor. For Prometheus, he should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor again for Alien Covenant. Like it's phenomenal. Yeah, because they're they're two fully realized characters. Like yes. Walter is so di- it's not just like the same accent and mannerisms. Walter's his own guy. He's doing completely different things with mm-hmm. both guys and how they react to each other. And then they have a fight scene later on, which is even more incredible. Oh, like man. and all this is so intriguing mm-hmm. and weird. And good. Yeah. Then you're, but you have to cut back to like dumb, dumb crew members. Yeah. Battle with aliens. Like, I'm just not like uh, invested in, I think like Prometheus even did a better job. Like, I was invested in Elizabeth Shaw. I thought that character was interesting and they kind of gave her, I think the fact that she was kind of tied to Faith in her own way. Yeah. I think that that was, that added to it. Yeah. And I think that like uh, that. The fact that Daniels doesn't like, yeah, like her. The one thing she's tied to is her like relationship with her. She wants to live, and she had a relationship with her, you know, uh, James Franco. husband. Yeah, James Franco, who kind of like gets, but that even then it feels like that's like kind of what pushed aside pretty quickly. There's no... so I think like what was interesting in the earlier Alien movies, mm-hmm. um, everyone has an intention mm. of what they want to accomplish. And we're not entirely certain what Danny McBride wants or what even Captain Watterson wants. Yeah, that's the or thing. Or what Walter the... wants, even. Yeah, Walter. I But at least with Walter, like. He gets to interact limit... with David yeah. and, cha- and challenged through his limitations. But I think, like, yeah, we don't know, like, almost everyone always has, like, groovy ulterior motives. Yeah. Even like Charlie Theron had ulterior motives and totally had ulterior motives. And even um what's his name? Logan Marshall Green had his motives. Yeah. For what everyone. he wanted to deal with. Like how he mm-hmm. wanted to like we don't know that beyond like even Billy Crudup's because it's like there, but it's kind of vague. We don't know why. Okay, so he's just a man of faith, but there's nothing further explained. 
Yeah, like the the crew. It seems like the in the primary interest of the screenwriter and the director is like the David stuff, which is the best part. Mm -hmm. It is the most interesting part, and it's so good it makes up for kind of the vagueness of the rest of the movie. The vague seeing it before quality of the rest of the movie, because when the aliens get unleashed, the movie's too damn exciting to care about all that vague stuff. I yeah. It's just well, and it's just it's 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 more interested and shocking and wow. And, it, and to be fair, like some of the alien stuff is like the coolest alien. Like the designs oh, are this, interesting. And I think the set piece when they get to the lander and Danny McBride's driving it, and Catherine Watterson's on the the wing mm-hmm. doing battle with it, swinging around and stuff. That's really cool. That's and, great. Well, like, well, then also having David be a factor, him being introduced to it as this whole new wrinkle. That's mm-hmm. so cool and crazy. Like the moment, like we need to let's get back to the, uh, finishing the plot of the movie so we oh, can yeah. talk about yeah the the, so, the later parts. So David reveals that um, I don't know if he killed her, but he certainly experimented on poor Elizabeth Shaw from Prometheus yeah. to uh, create, and he needs more human beings. Uh, to finish his experimentation. He's just fishing. He's fishing He's, for yeah. humans. And poor Billy Crudup is the one who gets led into it. He gets the face hugger and the chest burster scene. The oh, classical. Man. He gets it all. It all happens to him. And he's bummed. It's a very big bummer for Orem. <laughs> well, and it's interesting, too, because, like, it's such a... You think this guy, this guy thinks he's going to be all right because he like, um, he sees so like Daniel or uh, David, he Mm -hmm. has like, there's like this crazy alien that's like a pale, big, pale, like pale man alien. Very cool. looks like a Guillermo del Toro creature. Oh, it's so Guillermo. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and, like, and he like, you know, and it kills like another crew member. Her head's like, oh, I love the scene. Yeah, like that floating head in the, in the fountain. It looks uh, good. It looks good, but like, um, but uh, that stuff happens, and Billy Crudup like kind of like kills that alien. Yeah, David's response is like no, like he like responds like he's real because it's like David's child. It's one of his like top creations, and he's like he's bummed. It's bummed. It's so fucking good. Like Fassbender's crying. It's like it's great. Yeah, that's like the meat of the fucking movie, and like. Oh man, I wish I that like I, yeah. I wish you could go all the way with it, but when you spend a hundred million dollars, I think you got to get alien. Like you got to have set pieces yeah. and stuff like if, that. If they could, I think it's just like if they could have flipped it, where like the whole movie's from like the perspective of Michael. Because like here's the thing: this is my argument. They commit, you know, spoiler alert. They commit to like the dark ending, which is thumbs up. Which is 100% thumbs up. So I think that if you're committing to the dark ending, Michael Fassbender, he's a big enough star at this point. It's the lead of the movie. It's it's David and Walter's story. Have it 100% be from his perspective. Yeah. Because we've never seen that before. We've never seen a movie from like... like, I think it's from Walter's perspective. He's, you know, and until it's not. Yeah. (laughs) That's that. That's the thing. I don't know. And like, because like, I think, like, yeah, if we start, and we, we were talking about this, like, over text, you said you had a great point where, like, if they started the movie with, like, the... David, David's apocalypse, <laughs> David's genocide. Yeah, man, yeah. what a different movie. What an interesting movie that would have been. Yeah. I don't know. But I think it's, like, I do like the start of the movie. Yeah, that's the thing. With Guy Pierce and kind of the introduction of David, David's birth, and David already, 
almost from the second he meets Guy Pierce, questioning Oyland and questioning, like, wait a second, I am better than you. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I am then, stronger and better than you. And then only for uh, Wayland to kind of put him in his place and be like, yeah. mm, tea, please. Yeah. And it's about, yeah, it's like, is it about creating a god or is it just about a, like, guy who's really mad about being like an underling <laughs> oh god yeah he's a he's a he's like a he's a mook he doesn't like being a mook yeah uh, uh so they end up um discovering this walter gets in a big fight with david he saves daniels in doing so uh dan lope uh played by damian bishir battles an alien and gets acid on his face that was really it's cool rad because it's like he's not dead but he's getting acid burning through his fucking cheek which looks yeah. really really cool he is freaking about about he's not stuck and there's well, like a scene where... it's a very natural reaction to being very upset <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally i think there's like a scene where he's like does this look all right and it does not <laughs> it does not uh danny mcbride meanwhile is on his way down in like a lander thing to try and rescue the survivors who are barely any at this point. It's yeah, like, we're down. Like every all the all the uh, all the guys you can just knock off have been yeah. knocked off. They, they he lands in the amphitheater thing. I would have liked to see more aliens here. This would have been really cool if only Ooh. one alien makes it on. But Daniels and Dan have to like do a full scale sprint with like let's say seventy aliens <laughs> behind them. <laughs> Ah, uh, wouldn't that wouldn't that look cool? That would look they, great. There for part my my proposed part three, which I will not reveal more on podcast because I hope to get in the room someday. We'll see. Oh, probably probably not. But I want. Hey. I want to make. Do I want to make an alien movie? Fuck yes, I do. But <laughs> hashtag get down in the room. Get down in the room. I can I can wow Ridley with some. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They jump on the lander. One alien makes it on lander. We got a great action scene where Daniels is like throwing a freaking crane at it. Like oh, it's man. all over the place. It's great. It's terrific. Yeah. So good. Da- Danny has a Danny McBride, another Dan, has an amazing reaction mm-hmm. when the alien crawls across the front of the thing. It's the first time he sees it. He's like, shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That's He's not like, good. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't like that <laughs> yeah i probably should not have come down here <laughs> very scary um then walter runs out we get a like cliffhanger cut because walter's about to bring a rock down on david's face mm-hmm. we get a cliffhanger cut walter runs down climbs on board pulls daniels in they save the day they go up to the ship uh-oh another damn alien came with him though Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. They're on the regular on the covenant. <laughs> Get back to our two dum dums, Upworth and Ricks. Yeah. Oh no. Two absolute idiots. Yeah, like this is like the this is like the and I feel like this is like it almost feels like this was like forced in or something. It feels this like is... it's from a different movie. So they don't are unaware there's an alien on board and they're like well, trouble's over. Many of our friends are dead. What's the best possible thing to do in this moment? Shower sex. Ooh. <laughs> so they're space, banging in the space shower space, sex. Space shower sex. They got some soul music playing. It's all happening. <laughs> Silly. It is. Yeah, this <laughs> is like. From a... You're like, this is from like a Jason movie? It feels like yeah. it's from a Friday the 13th movie or something. It is like a Jason. <laughs> this is like a Jason XS movie. Yeah, I know. 
Jason XS move. They're banging the shower. Alien shows up. Bloodbath. They're all they're dead. Yeah. And they deserve it. But it's also like that feels very like screenwriters batting it around and they can't get it out of their head. We have never seen this in Alien, like an alien sec, you know, all this kind of thing. Yeah. Like, Should have cut it, if you ask me. It, yeah. it makes them look really stupid. It is, yeah, and I and I yeah, I see what you're saying now. Where it is like, yeah, it's like, well, we've never had an alien sex scene before, or like, you know, this type of this type of moment in an alien film. And it's like, yeah, maybe not every moment has to exist in the alien yeah. world. Yeah. L- luckily, Daniels and Danny McBride, uh, Tennessee, are actually quite smart. Oh and yeah. They, and they launch into a plan to basically have uh, Walter running the controls to lock down certain doors so they can lead the alien toward its in it hopefully eventual demise right they do it's a beautiful scene where they shoot the alien out into space and like a lander type thing it looks great yeah it's optimistic it's, it feels it good feels great and, you and, love and, it yeah and you're in like if the two characters you wanted to live the most danny mcbride and Catherine watterson daniels you can they see them go into the you're, sunset you're pumped Maybe they'll yeah. maybe they'll start a relationship. Their spouses are dead. Who yeah. knows? Uh, you know, Tennessee is yeah. like I loved your movie Swiss Army Man. You did not want, um, you did not want Danny McBride to die. You did not want Catherine Watterson to die. You like no. that? No, no. For for and not necessarily based on what's on the page, but based on their own natural charms as actors. Yeah, and the like good, the goodwill that they have formed over the years as actors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's like a nice treat to see. Uh, the guy from the fifth sway, like defeat, defeat nailed. Yeah, that's and that's crazy. I think Danny McBride even said that in interviews. He's like, "What do you? Th- why the? Of course I want to do that." I'm like, "I get to find alien." Like, <laughs> like of course I want to be in this movie. What? Yeah, I wonder. Like, didn't like was it like wasn't Ridley Scott? Didn't he have like a conversation with Ridley Scott at like an award event or something? Like, it, like, it, yeah. like they met and that led to him getting that role. Like Ridley was like, "Oh, I like this guy." He seemed like a neat guy. He's yeah. Uh, from what I understand, by all accounts, great hang. Ooh. Cool guy, great hang. Um, so they're gonna continue back. Oh boy, that side trip was a mistake. But yeah, we still have all the colonists. We still have all of the embryos. Everything's fine. We're down a few crew members, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> it's, all, it's all gravy. It's all good. We're going to or 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 guy or guy seventeen. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Having fun. So, Catherine and Danny going to cryo sleep. Danny goes first. Catherine climbs in. Walter's giving her a hand. And then she brings up, she had told Walter a story about wanting to build a log cabin. She finished the job. Her and James Franco are going to live by a, live by the water in a log mm-hmm. cabin. Real old school, real off the land. And she told Walter that story earlier and they shared a moment, a very connection, if you will. Mm-hmm. She brings it up again. She asks Walter to help her build the log cabin when they get there. Walter gives her a look of like, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Uh-oh. Oopsie, oopsie. Oopsie, <laughs> She figures it out pretty quick. Walter didn't make it. And oh. it's David. Oh, the it's, so, <laughs> it's so David. It's so David. It is so David. And she is not happy that and she's about to be put into cryosleep. She is not happy, but it's unfortunate she's in it. And guess who's 
over the shooting over the moon <laughs> by their luck. <laughs> it's David. our man David. He is hooting and hollering. He is having Just a good time. He's listening to his classical music. He's the yeah, he's like yeah. Yeah, he puts like, on I feel good. He's like he's like John Travolta at the beginning of Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> <laughs> He's like doing the risky business yeah. stance. Oh yeah. No 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 no. He has swallowed alien embryos that he's brought up there. He puts them with the colonizer embryos. And he's like, mm-mm. Mm. I've got seven years. <laughs> yeah. To, to work on work my magic once again. Time to draw some more insanely highly detailed H.R. Geiger-esque drawings. Yeah. yeah, it rocks. It's dark, grim. It's beautiful. You're so pumped to mm. see where David goes next. Oh, God, I want to see what this kooky guy, this this wacky oddball is up to. I want to see David. I want to see the adventures of David continue. It turns out, though, audiences did not, for the most mm. part. Um, underperformed. The box mm. office made only seventy-four million at the U.S. box That's office. Crazy. Um, two hundred forty overall against a production budget of about a hundred million. Not good enough, uh, especially compared to Prometheus's four hundred million at the box office. Um, I saw it at the Los Feliz three opening Ooh. weekend when it came out, and I liked it. Uh, it has sixty-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Alien Covenant de- delivers another satisfying round of close quarters, deep space tear, even if it doesn't take the saga in new directions. Cinema score B. Um, A.L. A- Scott, who we've mentioned before in the show, said, Alien Covenant is an interesting movie. For all its interplanetary ranging, it commits itself above all to the canny management of expectations. Kinda, yeah. Uh, Matt Zoller Sites liked it. Uh, RogerEbert.com, he gave it 4 out of 4. Seeing film structure, although repeatedly borrowing from other alien films, serves a purpose not unlike James Bond or Star Wars, where part of the fun lies in seeing the variations in which the artist can bring while satisfying a rigid structure. Um, he had claimed it was one of the five best films of 2017 as well. Um, overall, I like this movie a lot. I think it's the, the highs, like we talked about David and Walter, mm-hmm. um, make up for any of the seen it before kind of elements to me. Yeah, I think like, yeah, I think it's like one of those movies where like there's some middle parts that don't quite work or mesh well, but the beginning is so electric and the ending is so electric. I feel like you can't leave this movie like, you know. In a like I you leave I leave, I left this movie because I saw this at the ArcLight I think if mm-hmm. I remember correctly and I remember just being so pumped by that ending that downer that fun like, bring downer. on bring on part yeah. three we want to see it um yeah I think you leave this movie pumped yeah exactly you're hoping for more you're like man I I love this series I think it still is the most satisfying long running series of its yeah. sort. I think like yeah, I think like um on a whole the quality of the if you're excluding the AVP films the the, the core the core group is pretty damn good. Yeah. Like I like all of them. The the yeah. the six core films. Right? And yeah. Oh yeah, go ahead. I was said I even like Alien Resurrection. I like yeah. them all. Yeah. 
which we might talk about some point in the near future. Who's to say? Um, so they were um, actively, you know, really Scott said when they, when they did Prometheus, he wanted two sequels to Prometheus, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even a fourth in this, in the Prometheus round of films. Um, he wanted to get all the way to the beginning of the original alien. Mm-hmm. was the thought um i you know the covenant 2 was going to be written by john logan fastbender waterston and mcbride were all scheduled to return and this would complete the prequel series leading to the event of aliens the head of 20th century fox in september of 2017 stated mm-hmm. that despite covenant being a financial disappointment the studio still intended to proceed with scott's sequel then just days later, it was announced it had been delayed. He was still talking about it in October, into November of 2018. But by 2019, Disney acquired 20th Century Fox. And they will continue to create new stories in the Alien series. Mm. They want it really, Scott, but they are concerned that the Prometheus story was not what audiences we're after and as of august 2021 still uncertain if ridley scott will get to do a third of the prometheus series we had mentioned before neil blomkamp had entire sigourney weaver centric alien that came and went and that was kind of torpedoed by ridley scott to do um this series but in march of 2023 a new alien film was announced to be directed by horror filmmaker Fidi Alvarez, who directed the evil, the truly gruesome Evil Dead remake <laughs> and Don't Breathe, a very tight, scary, alien esque movie, if you will. Yeah. Um, and this one is going to be released in August of 2024. It has been shot there in post. Ridley Scott is a producer on it. Oh, wow. Skyler and Hill are not, by the way. Um, so, and um, this one is a standalone alien film. So my hope for this is that Fidi Alvarez got the shot to make a really down and dirty horror movie mm. version of Alien. And because I like what Matt Zoller Seitz was saying about the Bond series, or it should be for all series is that a director and a writer's vision should be allowed to use the the tropes yeah. and take it in any direction they feel like. That doesn't mean I don't want to see Covenant Part 2, because I really do. Like, yeah. I want to see this finished up. I want to see what happens to David. Like, For sure. But, you know, maybe we won't get that. Maybe David is off in the universe somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, God, I like the idea of him percolating. And, you know, here's the thing. What's great about how open-ended that is, is the universe is pretty big. And you could always bring him back, you know. There's there's ways you could, could, he's around. He's an infinitely, he's a robot that'll live forever, whatever. Regardless of Prometheus and Covenant's, like, imperfections, Mm -hmm. what really Scott did was create one of his greatest characters in his 40-year, 40-plus-year career in David. And that's nothing to sneeze at to create a really great indelible character. 
Yeah, it's just a, a, something that'll, um, yeah, it, it's something that will like kind of stand the test of time too, which is more like yeah. the more, more can be more. It's I don't think a lot of like characters being made nowadays could necessarily do that. I don't know. And I think um, a good villain. We've mentioned this before in the show. A good mm-hmm. villain can really make a mediocre movie a good movie. Yeah. And this has like been the Marvel problem, I think, in a lot of their movies, is that they've lacked villainy in a good way. Outside of outside of, and I'm gonna give him credit here, Josh Brolin. Yeah. Who actually brought quite a menace to his performance in the, the Avengers pictures. And I don't think they've recovered from it. I don't think they've recovered from dispatching him either. Yeah, it's it's tough. I think like that is like a big problem. I feel like so many of the villains are are like always like they're, they're like kind of like no name suit characters or they're like weird oddities like was it Mike Mickey Rourke as Whiplash like or is... or like the DC ones tend to be like some like weird like rock monster or something that I I can't relate to oh, I got no feel like like that's what they talk about this Flash movie because I was thinking about like who's the bad guy at all oh I don't even know like I, I, it... I guess it's Zod like, sort of. Halfway. But even 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 Michael Shannon doesn't understand that. Yeah, it yeah. Just, uh, it's the, the... yeah, like, and nothing is meaningful because you could just create an alternate timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it just sucks. Yeah. Mm. So, um, interesting thing here though is that Ridley Scott chose to make Alien Covenant rather than our next movie, right? Blade Runner twenty forty nine. But I do feel that a lot of the stuff he's thinking about in Blade Runner 2049 is in Alien Covenant. Creation. Gods on Earth. Yeah. Life and death. What does it mean to be human? The, the, these these themes cross over between yeah, the movies. And, and going back to what we were saying earlier about him thinking about life and death as a elder, like, quote-unquote elderly man. An elderly man who can direct, like, Napoleon. Yeah, like, and six years, to... six, six years later. Like, God, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but arguably, like, Alien Covenant felt like, okay, cool, I'm glad there's another in this Prometheus thing. Blade Runner 2049 feels like, you know, because it was, like, nearly 40 years in the making. Right. So there was a lot more, like, the anticipation... For Blade Runner, tw- oh, we should know. Alien Covenant came out on in May of 2017, so it was an early summer picture. Whereas Blade Runner is like a late fall, October picture. Um, also, I wanted to mention real quick: Darius Wolski and Pietro Scalia back on the mix, cinematography Ooh. and edi- editing. Another really Scott jam for them. Music by Jed Kurtzel, new person. Oh yeah, he's like mm-hmm. uh, I feel like he's like a like Justin Kurtzel. He's Justin sibling. Kurtzel's sibling, yeah, and he had um done basically the music for Justin Kurtzel's movie, like Australian movies. He had the, like the music for the Babadook, Ooh. and uh, so he and it looks like mostly he's um kind of stuck in that Australian world sense covenant. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, good music. Good and as usual, yeah. Wolski and Scalia's work is impeccable. 
and really underrated members of the Scott team, even though both of them, I think, are no longer... Like, Wolski, I think he is, but I think this is, what I believe, Scalia, one of his last one. Oh, man. One of his last ones. But anyway, Scott was also developing Blade Runner 2049. Now, of course, go back to our Blade Runner episode. It's a really good one. We did a ton of work on that Blade Runner episode um, to kind of get the background here and kind of the level of how it was a flop, how Ridley tinkered with it for years. It's clearly been, regardless of the fact that we think his um, historical films are the truest to his heart, mm -hmm. Blade Runner is the movie that stuck with him yeah. from his career the most and made well, it, let him like, thought the most. I think he put the most work into it, too. Oh, for sure. Well, and it, I think it's like this movie, too, that there is the fact that, like, the love bird didn't come until like a decade later or even later than that, even decades later, maybe. And the fact that like, it just, it's never, I think he wanted it to be like this big mainstream thing. And that, that the fact that that kind of eluded him, I don't know. I think there, and, there's like, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like, I don't think he loves the fact that I think you're right, that it was more about like, committed geeks on home video who yeah. love this thing more than like the general public love mm. this thing which i think is still the case oh yeah unfortunately as we'll get as we'll get into yeah <laughs> uh so he wanted it through the years he wanted to do within the blade runner universe it looks like he worked with his son luke and his even tony on some like ideas within it i think he felt this was so ripe for more mm, yeah um so original producer bud yorkin held on to this the rights to blade runner though like Ooh. with an iron pulling a wall bloody iron Hill. fisk uh and he died in 2015 Ooh. so new producers from alcon entertainment uh andrew kosov and broderick johnson um they found a way in once Yorkin was dead to get the rights and they wanted more. They saw it as a whole big thing as well. Franchise. Yeah. Um, and <sighs> once they got the, love that. Once they <laughs> yeah. got the rights, um, they immediately went into the press and said, we want to make another one and we want Christopher Nolan mm -hmm. to direct it. And uh, Christopher Nolan's like, I don't do, I don't do that kind of thing. Like, yeah, he doesn't like, and I think that is the interesting thing about him. Uh, did you hear on the Flash Chapo episode this week? Matt Christman posited the theory that Oppenheimer is a confession from Christopher Nolan about how how guilty he feels about bringing superhero movies into. The world i love i don't remember I, I don't i don't remember that tangent but i love I, it i love it i love it that he did the batman movies without knowing what kind of pandora's box he was going to open with it mm -hmm. which he did yeah he kind of did i think he kind of did yeah yeah i because mean like he, he made he made adults take superhero movies seriously God, yeah, I mean, you could say that, like, maybe, like, Sam Raimi opened the door or Brian Singer to a certain degree, but he uh, definitely put, like, a uh, stopper in it, and he made the door, and he made the door, it was a kiddie door, he 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 turned it into a big boy door. 
He turned it into a big boy door. Yes. <laughs> so his, he was never his intention. So by they decided they wanted Ridley Scott back. Mm-hmm. Um, after R- Ridley Scott said he would do it, the studio signed Michael Green, our mm. a guy, a hot man about town. But Ridley Scott, despite all of their interactions in the early 80s, was like, actually, the man for the job is Hampton Fancher. Hampton Fancher seems to be a um, Zelig-like figure, as we've talked about in the previous episode, who's yes. just around, who just yeah. is around and seems like a groovy guy. Like, He's, like, without been question. all over the world and done all these crazy things and he made, like, he, the Minus Man. Yeah, and he's just, like, he seems like just this, like, intellectual, like, like, an old-school, like, like smart guy just bouncing around. Oh yeah. And um, so he gets brought back into the fold to work on the script and he hadn't worked really in Hollywood for over a decade. He'd been kind of mm-hmm. on the outs. Um, and really Scott was very tight lipped. And I noted here and I know it's that he was normally, you know, he is normally very candid about his plans for things, just even if they go in different directions, as we talked about with the alien movies, <laughs> they want to keep this thing really tight. But then um, alien covenant takes precedence. So he really Scott stays on as executive producer and he's like still his spirit lingers over this movie and they turn to Quebecian director, Denny Villeneuve. As their next choice, and I think Denny Villeneuve stands for, to put it bluntly, what the studios want from Christopher Nolan, but they're surprised that they don't get. Which, because I think Chris Nolan is a little more idiosyncratic mm-hmm. than Denny Villeneuve is, and Chris Nolan's obsession with weirdly structured scripts—that is not Denny Villeneuve's bag. Denny. Yeah sends things down a straight line he's yeah i mean he he will send him down that straight line with a she a she a sheen of prestige yes he's too good to be a journeyman but he's controllable enough from a studio standpoint not to expect him to rock the boat too hard Ooh, yeah (laughs) that's it uh, Denny Villeneuve was born October 3rd of 1967, making him 55 years young as of the time of this recording. He uh, began as a short filmmaker, documentarian in Canada, uh, slowly working his way up. I highly recommend the episode he appeared on of the Roger Deakins podcast to get to know his work and his life a little bit more. He seems like a great guy. Mm. Like you could see why everyone wants to work with him. You can yeah. see why he gets stuff done. He's very smart. He's very talented. Mm. He's very personable. Like everything you want. Yeah. In a director. Triple threat. Yeah. In a like Hollywood director. Mm. Uh, he made three quick, three early pictures starting in 1998 with August 32nd on Earth, 2000's Maelstrom, and 2009's Polytechnic. I've not seen any of these. I really want to. They've been mm. on the Criterion channel a few times. I've missed them, but really made his name in 2010's film Ensemble, which was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film, the Academy Awards. Uh, kind of a interesting um, mystery war film mm. uh, set in Lebanon. 
but shot mainly in Quebec with a few days in Jordan, actually. <laughs> um, very interesting film. And that was actually the film that Roger Deakins saw that was like, oh, I like this movie a lot. I'm interested in this guy. Denny, though, what I what I dig about Villeneuve, he does he is industrious. So he goes to Hollywood and he makes in 2013 two back to back pictures, Prisoners, which is a um, even Roger Deakins said, and Roger Deakins' photography is amazing in it, a rather middling mystery thriller, heightened to the extreme by brilliant direction. And visual work by Villeneuve and Deakins, and some good, good on the edge performances from people like Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh yeah. Um, but otherwise, like, if you read it, you're like, this is like a supermarket mystery paperback. <laughs> yeah, like this is a movie that, like, you know, 15 years ago would have, like, you know, been directed by Joseph Rubin or something like that. It's like a mid-level. It's like a, yeah, it's like a Grisham, you know, not a Grisham. Yeah. Like in that, in there, James Patterson. That's the guy I'm thinking of. But, gr- but grimmer and darker. Yeah. Uh, he also makes the very strange kind of Delillo Pinchonian riff enemy based on the Jose Saramago double out novel, the double with Jake Gyllenhaal that year as well. So a double dose of Gyllenhaal. Uh, but what it proves is that Enemy proves he is a weird artistic director who yeah. can pull off weird things. Prisoners proves he's a team player who can accomplish, who can, who can get stuff done within the system. Who does that remind you of? 2015, he makes Sicario. Plays the Cannes Film Festival. Sicario is not necessarily a, like a smash, but everyone admires it. Like, yeah. Uniformly. Well, and in that movie, like single-handedly, like I think that starts the Sherid the Sheridan craze. It's a, yeah, it's an early Taylor Sheridan joint too. Um, but it's a very well crafted, mm-hmm. dark, you know, drug war thriller. Mm-hmm. I think it's for Cormac McCarthy enthusiasts who want something a little more normal. That's yeah. That's a good. That's a good. A little bit of a burn, but I get. A little yeah. bit of a burn. A little, little bit of a burn. A little bit of a burn. But I like. And I like it. I think. I, so, utterly yeah. elevated in the same way as prisoners by direction, performance, and Roger Deakins' camera work. That's true. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> same this deal. Is a recurring theme is he kind of is good at elevating middling works. When in other hands, because you watched Sicario too. Yeah. Written by Sheridan, starring mostly the same cast. Yeah, but clearly a little less. Just, a, just a hair. It just doesn't have the same oomph that. Uh, yeah, and then it's like, man, yeah. Did, I think the thing too is Denis Villeneuve. Like he surrounds himself with like the you know you have like Roger Deakins working with you and all of these like just top tier. Oh no! Like, when produ- these when these movies came out, I had conversation with friends like, <laughs> what 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 like. What does he have on Roger Deakins that's making Roger Deakins do these movies? <laughs> like, yeah, that is yeah. Like, what does he have? Is like, you know, like a some sort of like like does he have a family member? Like, <laughs> but at the same time, like they are. I've watched Prisoners and I've watched Sicario more than once. Mm-hmm. Like, they're rewatchable. Too. Oh, that opening sequence in Sicario where they find the bodies in the wall is like master class, like film, like thriller filmmaking. Like, and it's God. 
from all sides, everyone involved. I love I love that scene where like they the guys just like watching TV and then like the wall blows up. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that. I love and Emily Blunt. It's so funny. I, I found her to be kind of like a one note character when I first watching it a second time. I was yeah. wrong. She's so good, really good in that role. Yeah, because she has to be. I think he actually, if you want to think about it, like this one. Almost all of these movies are about a person who's very, very set in their ways, who thinks they know. And then the world expands on them for better or worse. Mm-hmm. And they have to deal with the consequences of that. Because I think like Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal think they know. Yep. Uh, in Prisoners. Emily Blunt certainly thinks she knows the Sicario. I think Amy Adams is set in her ways in Arrival, but then the but the, the reason Arrival is special is because it flips it to show that being set in your ways might not be a great thing. That perhaps the broader universe, perhaps there is light. Because mm-hmm. I, I th- Arrival is a deeply moving. Like, I, I think it's his best movie. Personally, you might be, I need to watch it again. I, I like Arrival. I think it's a great. I think it's a great. Um, I remember enjoying that film. Immensely. I think it's a really strong picture, mm-hmm. and it's a very human picture. And I, I like it a lot. Obviously, everyone else did too because it got nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards yeah. as well, which basically and it made a bunch of money. So Denny is like, he he's doing things the old fashioned way too. Yeah, start off with independence. Show your craft. Show you can do things, build, get bigger, like Chris Nolan did too. Get bigger and bigger and bigger, expressing yourself more and more. But well, you know, it, this is the witch. Still, it should not be. And I don't. I don't even say this is this guy is like a good or a bad. I don't care. The guy who did Safety Not Guaranteed, moving on to Jurassic Park. There needs to be middle steps. Yeah. To I... to hone your craft to get better at building it out to get better at these bigger bigger projects to take more control and because you, you gain confidence you gain skills you gain maneuverability by doing that it used to be that way small film bigger film bigger film bigger film bigger film yeah following memento insomnia yep that and begins you know like exactly yeah uh, following yeah exactly like that <laughs> that that four movie run yeah if you want to work in the current studio system, should be how it's done. The, yeah. the mid-range ones, especially Insomnia, are important. Christopher Nolan would tell you this day, he could not make a big-budget movie without having to have dealt with Al Pacino and Robin Williams simultaneously on Insomnia. Like, Personalities! To, to navigate that. Because mm-hmm. you can get your ass steamrolled. Yeah. Otherwise. <laughs> Especially when the film is so effects laden, like a Jurassic World, going from a non effects laden movie, yeah. I assume safety guaranteed. Minor. Yeah. You know, minor. But yeah. yeah. And I think, like, even a leap from prisoners on Sundays to prisoners to Sicario to arrival, it's like you're building. Yeah. You're building your, t- your toolkit because you can't go from fucking polytechnic to blade runner 2049 no way well and here's the thing too he's also a i think denny in addition to his like um his coming of age as a director being weirdly old school for the times 
his adherence to like old school production design and like like physical crafted sets and composed non-video gamey shots. Yeah, because None all of that, of that matters. That and that creates indelible images that all of those previous movies I mentioned and the movies he made to come manage. Yeah. So, but I what I think he is, he's a craftsman. He shows he can accomplish stuff. He works in the studios, and then with Arrival, he makes a top of the line science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. And what he reveals is that Prisoners and Sicario are not Denny. Denny is a sci-fi head. Oh yeah, of the highest order. <laughs> he's World a nerdsman. builder, nerdsman. But <laughs> what all of this is also shown gets the job done. Works with big stars impeccable eye works well with the studios understands audiences mm-hmm. who does this remind you of ridley scott is he the Ooh. second coming of ridley scott i actually do think so yeah. yes i yeah. think he is yes he is he is, he he is. is the heir apparent he is not christopher nolan he is not david fincher no not not even jim cameron if you want to like because age-wise that actually does make sense it's <laughs> true because jim cameron has uh He's living in a different. He he's his own thing. He's he's, he's his like, own he's, thing. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like... he he has one of those Neander Wallace uh, eyeball cameras that's floating yeah, he around. Does. He's so, opened his third uh, eye. But this made Denny Villeneuve the natural. Actually, in terms of the people, if you're not going to convince Christopher Nolan or Cameron or Spielberg or somebody to make this movie, Denny Villeneuve is the, I think, the clear cut choice. Yeah, and if you want someone like. Not one of the like Marvel directors or something like that. Because I guess you probably could have said John Favreau or somebody like that, but I think you would have gotten something completely different. And oh, I don't yeah. think, I think really Scott wants a guy who um, maintains his like very, very like cold and serious outlook. Yeah. Like, because I would also argue Christopher Nolan's movies are a bag of laughs compared to Denny Villeneuve movies. Which is kind of... <laughs> it's so funny, because it's like... Not what the, his movies are famously known for. They're not warm, hug your loved ones rocks. Yeah, on, at least on, on surface, initially. I think this leads to ma- major accusations of being completely self-serious. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You can decide, audience, yeah. how you feel about that. Patrick and I won't necessarily say that ourselves, but there, when you see something this serious, and my guy Chris Nolan has been accused of this, that perhaps you're batting outside of your weight class and trying to prove how smart you are and how like intelligent your movie is and like how serious your movie is, uh, when it might be smoke and mirrors. But hey, who's to say? Let the who's to say? Hey, we don't know. We don't know. To quote um, Paul, the bartender from Pulp Fiction, (laughs) "My name's Paul, and this is between (laughs) y'all." That's a good, good line. Classic. Good good way to live. That guy survives Pulp Fiction. Yeah, Paul Paul gets it. (laughs) Paul gets it. (laughs) Paul Floyd. Those two guys got it. Yeah, but anyway, (laughs) Denny's on board, and. As they were writing the script, they tailored two the two leading characters specifically for two actors. One, of course, is the absolute desire to get Harrison Ford to return as Rick Deckard. Mm-hmm. 
actually leads to a big question I have for you, Patrick. Do you think this movie would have been better if it had not been a direct sequel? God, you know what? I do. I yeah, I I was gonna bring this up earlier, but I do think that the weakest aspects of the movie are all the tenuous connections. Yeah, we don't need yeah, we don't need to bring that we don't need to dredge back the previous film. We don't need to like like we don't need to pull Harrison you don't need to pull Deckard out of the grave to get him to like you know do his little song and dance routine in Vegas it kind of yeah. yeah it feels like yeah it's like it, feel, it felt like I don't know it just it sucks uh, a little bit it's, a little bit we'll get there but anyway yeah. the other actor yeah. they had in mind was they wanted they needed a young actor and mm-hmm. I don't know why because it's like there's nothing obvious about this but mm-hmm. To me, weirdly enough, I can't think of anyone else other than Ryan Gosling of his age group and his like level of star to be in this, mm-hmm. to play the role that was tailored for him in this movie. He's the right guy. Yeah, literally the only person I can think of is like a younger Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. But, the, it, but it's like, I think that Brad Pitt and Ryan Gosling both have like, uh, they're just infinitely charming. They're both like uh, they have this just unique American quality, like the James Dean, that sort of like energy almost. And then like, oh, you know, you know, Leo, Leo could have done it. Maybe I you know what? I don't even I would say that Leo is almost like a little too like um, I don't know if he's as like maybe I don't know. I feel like there's like I feel like. There's like a swagger that Ryan Gosling and Brad have that I don't know if Leo has that like exactly. Yeah. like a yeah I don't know I don't know. Well, it's like, and you know Harrison Ford. That's, yeah, that's true. That's know. the other one. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. But um, it's interesting because at this point Ryan Gosling had never played in a blockbuster. Which is at very this weird. point in his career, and I think this is what was so another thing that was so charming and so intriguing about him was he was like the indie star. He yeah. was like the indie blockbuster guy. Like it's Mr. And if, and Nelson. He, and if, yeah, he, if he's like Mr. Blue Valentine. Yes. And, but when he shows up, even in like that movie, crazy, stupid love. Oh yeah. Like, Oh, he's like toying with us because he is such a star mm-hmm. and he could do this so well, but he's like choosing not to. He's yeah. like above it. He's like this cool guy who's like living this like groovy existence is like the hipster punk god. Yeah, basically. I want to hang out with Nicholas Winding Refn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He chooses to do Drive rather than The Fast and the Furious. Oh, yeah. Because he probably could have gotten Paul Walker's part in The Fast oh, and the Furious. In a heartbeat. You know? In a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Chooses to do that. Anyway, um, he, but he's in it. He's like, I'm a Blade Runner fan. I've been since high school. I want it. He's playing the role. The role is tailored for him is K. He's a replicant. We know he's a replicant from the start, but he's also a Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. And he discovers a secret that could change civilization. Mm -hmm. And very like when the movie I was also thinking about was Children of Men. I think that that was on their mind. When they made this yeah, movie too, but but I think like um, children's better than this. Yeah, yeah, oh, but yeah. But when yeah. also children of men is like, which is a crazy, and this is a crazy thing I'm about to say. Children of men is somehow more subtle than this movie. Yeah, it is. Um, 
and the basic thing is we'll just tear that bandit now is that blade run that replicants might be able to give birth mm. that they might be able to create life yeah and what we discover is that the child the we get this wonderful opening scene where Kaius is sent on a general mission by his boss Robin Wright mm. um they have some very fun interactions in this movie uh, yeah. to hunt down a replicant kind of deep in the, you know, netherworld. Mm -hmm. And this replicant is uh, Sapper Morton, played by Dave Batista. And we get Denny, Denny, like, tone, rhythm, tension, yeah. shot selection. It's all there in this opening confrontation between Gosling and Batista. And it's so it's the stuff he does in Sicario too, these like really quiet, long like there's that part in Sicario where they kind of like aggressively interrogate the guy. And Benicio del Toro just comes in with a jug of water and you're like, what the fuck is he gonna do with that jug of water? <laughs> like, yeah. You know? I, oh they're just my like God, I'm... <laughs> it's scary. It's yeah. like, yeah, there, and there's like, yeah, and he just he's so he's so good at building He's so good at crafting the world and he's so good at building tension. Yeah, it's just so good. And it's really beautifully put together. And that's why you're like, buy it. Even if intellectually, vulnerably, this isn't Scorsese or Cameron or even Spielberg. Um, this is a level of craft that is undeniable mm -hmm. and because no one does craft very well anymore you have to like tip your hat and say i want denny villeneuve to keep like being in the game and being you know, making all these movies god you know what i'm gonna say man and uh, i don't want this to sound too mean uh ridley scott is to steven spielberg as denny villeneuve is to jj abrams it's like that's the next generation. But no offense here, J.J. Abrams is such a dip from Steven Spielberg. Like he is, he is, but he's also I yeah. think I and he sucks. I don't like his oeuvre. I truly don't. But I think like the reason why he's so successful is the, the point you made. Where like I think he does have like a. At least, he's, like, there's she's trying something. There's craft involved in, like, a, an attention to detail. There's craft. What I think the di the difference between him and Villeneuve is, I think Villeneuve has a lot more curiosity. Mm, that's actually JJ Abrams. His like his neurotic thing is that he can't escape his twelve year old self. Oh God, yeah, that's grim. Yeah, I think you're well, I right. I think that that's an issue. And I think yeah. that's an issue because I think like I, I think about like nostalgia and why is nostalgia so big? It's because the world we're not built anymore anymore to like actively take on the world, and the world feels too overwhelming because of the internet, and because the internet feels like a tidal wave of voices, and the only way to stop that is to not be online. Yeah, and thus you want the safety, the the, the fucking goonies. Yeah, you want the warm hug. Yeah. Yeah, oh man. Ugh. When I felt good. When I was watching Return of the Jedi. 
Oh man, make new memories then. Find good well, you otherwise. Have to, you have to battle for it. You have to battle for new memories. Hey, that's part of the theme of later on in 2049. Um, Ooh, good, good yeah, segue. Good segue. But yeah, so Kay is sent on this labyrinth. So basically, Kay confronts Dave Batista, mm-hmm. Sapper, who he does end up retiring after a very good fight, but he incepts him, if you will, with mm-hmm. the line, You don't know a miracle. I've seen miracles. What does that mean? So that piques Kay's curiosity a bit, and then they discover some things around Dave Batista's home that pique his curiosity more. A buried box of bones. And basically what we discover is that Dave Batista may have helped someone have a baby and escape or hide the child and that someone may have been a replicant which piques the interest of neander wallace wallace corporation ceo peter wayland if you will yeah played by the indelible jared leto uh and i used to question this man i don't care anymore he's making choices at least they might not be the right ones but God bless him for at least trying. Like, I will you. say that, like, I have, I've, this character has grown on me in a weird way. I remember hating this character. Yeah. Like, I thought that he was, like, the worst part of the movie when I saw it the first time. And now I kind of feel for this, I, I have the same relationship to this character that I have with his version of the Joker, where it's like, oh, He's playing this person as the most insufferable. Like, of course, this guy would be the most insufferable man in the world. This guy would yeah. suck. This guy who, th- I guess, of course, a, yeah, yeah, the richest guy, guy in the world who thinks he's a god. Yeah, he yeah. would. He'd be a pain in the. You would physically yeah. revive. You would not want to be in a room with him. You would want to slap his little eyeball robots. And he <laughs> wants. To, and he hears about this, and he's very peaked because for a variety of reasons why. Because he wants to control it, but he's also like, boy. If I can figure this out, I am God. Mm-hmm. I can figure, yeah. And basically, they want to find the child and anyone involved to essentially follow David mm-hmm. and experiment on it to, to re-engineer it. Yeah. He, to he's control like one, it. He's like and one of those. He's he's such a like hollow Elon Musk-esque. Like, he's like, the world needs slaves. Well, yeah, well that's the key line is when yeah. Harrison Ford tells him you're not a father. And he goes, I have billions of children. Like, the, yeah, that's it. That's his character in a nutshell. Creep. 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 Evil. Evil. I love and that. Love I love this time around. I also, <laughs> so he's got his assistant, his badass assistant, Love, is played by Sylvia Hooks. Oh, great. Uh, and what I like about her is that she's got this Davidy arrogance of, I am the best replicant, mm-hmm. which is very neat. And what we learn, though, is that Kay. In truly heroic movie hero fashion, K might be actually to be the greatest replicant, we'll unless see. you unless you think Deckard is still a replicant. Yeah, well, she's still on the table, still mm-hmm. on the table. I think that yeah, he's a replicant, I mean, especially like where he's hanging out. Like I know, and the other guys are wearing gas masks when they go there, yeah. and he's never wears a gas mask, and he seems to be doing okay. Yeah, he seems to be chilling. Uh, well, and then the thing too. Well, what's interesting is like the um, the casting. Especially with like the kind of like the main female characters, 
Denny Villeneuve, he's like a very, um, I think he's kind of aware, he was aware of the situation he was in. And uh, like how this movie could potentially be the start of a big thing. Like this could be a big franchise and this could make or break actors. And so he like specifically like kind of like found like a lot of actors. new and up and comers. Yeah, exactly. And like, um, and it's a bummer because like they didn't like get to, um, you know, it, this movie didn't flourish the way he anticipated. It depends though. Cause the, the main female lead of this movie is now pretty much the female lead and seems like every movie that's coming out that is true she is now like she has like she's like kind of like where jennifer lawrence was in like the early 2010s this movie does break on adarmus who plays joy the um holographic girlfriend to ryan gosling what i like about her is that i think she has a real vulnerability and i think she matches with gosling obviously they're both incredibly attractive people so like the match they look good yeah. together but uh... well, and then that stuff is so fascinating because it's like there's so many questions about this world like why does k live in like an apartment complex why is he eating food why why yeah. is, does he why does he want this relationship with a uh How, a, well this is the same thing with the replicants or the androids and um the alien films how much or how little are how close are they yeah the human beings and how close are they not also though in this future environment how close because jared leto is a human being who seems to be running on tech yeah. how close are the human beings to replicants the everything's so me- like it's all like mixed together in this which is always what makes this this these the blade runner things so intriguing because they're easy even the part deckard tells him i know what's real does he I don't, I don't think he know. does. I don't no. think he does at all. Yeah. I think, yeah. Oh, man. Which is what makes this rewatchable and which makes, gives us, like, makes the Blade Runner cult endless and forever. Mm-hmm. Because it is fun to, yeah. like, dabble in this. There's and it is of... neat that they don't answer questions. Like, yeah. Tarantino was talking about that with sci fi movies on the Rollerball episode they just did. Mm-hmm. He's like, ambiguity is important. But with sci-fi movies, it is a delicate thing because you have to explain the world and the universe in a way that the actually crowd doesn't come at you too hard. You have to like it has to like you have to be able to explain some of the key elements, some to all of the key elements. But at the same time, hitting the hammer on the nail too hard makes it obvious and boring and like preachy. Yeah. Because all these movies are metaphors for human themes that we feel now. At least the good sci-fi movies are. Right. Um, so that's what you're dealing with. Some of the difficulties in this movie too. Some of this movie's yeah. too some of this movie's too ambiguous. Some of this movie isn't ambiguous enough. Yeah, it's it's a delicate and there's things that I think work so like this movie takes so many strange um it meanders, and and, and I kind of yeah. like that on some level. Like, like it's interesting. This movie's slow. Yeah. Oh, big time. Well, and it's also like it feels like they. It, it feels like 163 minutes. Holy shit! Oy, oy, oy. Yeah. yeah, that's almost three hours, buddy. You gotta calm down. Uh, but uh, cinema. Uh, yeah. but um, 
but like it feels like a lot of this is like stuff that Hampton Fancher has been percolating, like thinking about. And like there's all these like weird, like there's like the protein farm thing with like uh which they never even say, yeah. like, you know, they don't even what bring to deal up with the, it is. Yeah. Yeah, but that but that rules. I love that. That's like one of my favorite like set pieces and moments. Or like there's like a character. Well that's the, like the a, Barcod uh, body character yeah. uh, who you mentioned earlier. What's his name? Um, Doc Badger. That Doc guy Badger, rules. Whose job seems to be just to identify old wood. And like procure like animals that yeah. rules. Like, what's crazy. his deal? That's cool. but there were guys like that. Like remember James Hong in um, Blade Runner one. Yeah, like there were guys like that all over. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and I think that's what drew that draws everybody into this thing. Mm-hmm. Ridley Scott on down, Hampton Fancher on down. They want. There's like man, this is infinite. You could do anything. Yeah, that's groovy. Maybe. It is groovy, but then maybe it was like they bit off a bit more they could chew. So, do you think the rebellion, the replicant rebellion storyline, Denny was already dune pilled? Ooh, maybe he might be. He he was. He says he he's like one of these guys who reads that book every year, as a kid and everything like that. Because that's what he said when he got Dune. He's like this is that's his that's his like Bible. Holy shit! Maybe that, yeah. Wow. I think because because I was feeling that this time around because because the last I saw, I saw the arc light, Mm -hmm. and I hadn't seen it since. Dune has come out since we've seen Dune. Yeah. And going back, it's like, oh yeah, there's like, this feels like a test drive for Dune. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I think like I think like there's a lot of like. Especially like with the dustiness and like yeah. the the fallen, uh, yeah, and well, and the designs too. Everything feels very like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, should note also in this movie, uh, Mackenzie Davis, who we saw in um, The Martian, mm-hmm. uh, Carla Jury, Lenny yeah. James is Mister Cotton, uh, Edward James almost returns as Gaff, yeah, um, David dashed. Dast Malshian is Coco, oh, yeah. who I always like him. Uh, somehow Sean Young returns in an uncanny valley, but works within the context of it because this is this is a movie literally about the uncanny valley. That's interesting. Yeah, because I, I will say that is kind of like one of my least. And that was also the headline, and I'm holding up my copy of the American Cinematographer, Volume Ooh. 98, Number 12, from. December of 2017 with a full interview with Roger Deakins about Blade Runner 2049 that I read before we started the episode. And um, that headline of that article is Uncanny Valley. <laughs> but, um, oh, I want to mention Wood Harris shows up for one scene as another Blade Runner. And Patrick guy, quick to note, a little bit of a Remember the Titans reunion. Man, yeah. Throw Bull Patton in there. He could be hanging out with the uh, Who's Doc the Badger. guy? Who's the lead? The damn lead of Remember the Titans. That guy, he's oh right, the guy Hurst. who dies. The guy who dies like six times, Ryan Hurst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> there's like eight, eighteen car accidents in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he could, he could have been in the mix. Like, totally, there. Have it be like uh, Coco or something. Yeah. Give David Desmaschen a bigger role like, then. I don't yeah, know. but I liked how creepy he was as Coco. It was good. He's yeah, he's, his he's whole such a, he's arc a, is he's, great. He's, He's such a fun actor. Also, I really recommend his episode of the Roger Deakins podcast that he guested on because um, he's had quite a life story and it's a beautiful thing to see him on the other side getting supporting roles in all of these movies. 
And apparently yeah. Christopher Nolan changed his life because, you know, he's the fake joke. You know, he's the the guy in Dark Knight who Harvey oh, Dent yeah. catches. Yeah. And that's like that was like his first big movie. God, that's all it takes. That is so yeah. crazy. But uh, anyway, so Kay goes on this like long, long, long. I paused it when Harrison Ford shows up an hour and 40 minutes into this movie. It's crazy. Crazy. That was my that was pissed me off when I saw it the first time around. I was like. You tease Harrison Ford. You wait forty minutes for him. <laughs> yeah, it's like a movie has already happened at this. A movie, point. yeah. Like, and he goes on this long journey, and so, and he's not realizing that Wallace is like after the same thing as him, and kind of using him as a pawn to mm. track down all the because he's a really good detective. Um, but what happens as it goes on is with more and more evidence. Yeah. Kay begins to believe he is the child that they're all hunting for. Yeah, as he goes on this like increasingly like picaresque, like it's just it's so like yeah, he goes to one place and then he goes yeah. to another place and he gets and it's like always getting a piece of the puzzle, a piece of the clue, a piece of this, a piece of that. And the other weird thing too is it seems like Wallace just seemingly seemingly has carte blanche; he can just do whatever he wants. Yeah, he owns he owns everything. Yeah. Um, and then Kay discovers, which leads him to Rick Deckard, basically, mm-hmm. that, and he's convinced they have a fight. It's a very, like, they go to Vegas. It's a very, like, the visuals of them fighting with these holograms of Elvis and Marilyn Monroe and Frank Sinatra. It's cool. It's really it's so like, cool. They got the original uh, production. They got, like, Sid Mead, the guy who did a lot of the, um, artwork for the original Blade Runner to come and design Vegas because mm-hmm. they wanted Vegas to match like that era of Blade Runner as opposed yeah. to the current era, which is kind of its own thing. Yeah. And so, uh, oh, and yeah, I was going to mention too, Roger Deakins um, states in that magazine article that he appreciated, but does not really love the original Blade Runner. And so that... he was active in trying to subvert individual decisions. Hey, he does some great some like like well, all the the stuff he, shot in like Neander Wallace's like office. Yeah, I know, I know I that with the water set. set in with the yeah, it's oh god. The, well, the I know. Shadow. I mean, hand, hand him the Academy Award now. Yeah, like, which he won. He did. Yeah. Spoiler, spoiler. Roger did take his first Best Cinematography Academy Award for, mm. and he was. Um, did you know that on the cinematography ballot? They do not list names. They just list the movie. Oh, that's interesting. So that was why Roger Deakins could be nominated 13 times. Like for people not paying attention, you didn't know that it was the same guy doing all of this beautiful stuff <laughs> over and over again. So it's like, oh, wait a second. Until like he gets nominated 13 times, it becomes a story that the greatest living cinematographer has never won an Academy Award. Uh, it's like Martin Scorsese, like yeah. you know, it becomes when, a story. Yeah, yeah. Now, now Roger has two. Um, Good. Nineteen seventeen was his other one. Yeah, I like I like I like his stuff in this one more. Oh yeah, this is like I will um, say that like there are like certain like it's one of the most beautiful. Like I don't know, it's just such a gorgeous movie to watch. I don't know. It's, it's, real, like, it's well, I, I know it's the first forty minutes of it. I just felt like I was in a dream. Like it was like I was like so relaxed. I felt like I was like in a, doing a meditation or something. Yeah, is what it felt like. And that was a good vibe. I had my phone. I put away my. I did not have a phone out for the entire yeah. time I was watching oh. this. 
and you get and you get like the and you get the like you know the Hans Zimmer like one of his like best him and I guess Benjamin Wallfish Wallfish who's one of his guys yeah and they oh god like the yeah. scene where like they're flying into like Neander Wallace's like you know office but and it, there's like it, two there's throat it, singing it's a great combination of Hans Zimmer and Vangelis yeah like the the original score which is like one of the great scores of mm-hmm. all time but with the the kind of Hans Zimmer inceptiony bombast. Well, it's like it's able. It's like it's it's a wonderful and homage that can still maintains enough of its own, like you know, unique. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like I, it's just rehashing. It doesn't feel like you know the putting the meatloaf in the microwave again. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Kay has concluded that he is the son of Deckard and Rachel Sean Young yeah. from the first Big one. coincidence. Yeah. Uh, but then love shows up in Vegas. Kidnaps Deckard, destroys Joy Anadarmus, his love of his life. Also, there is a how did they even do it effects wise sex scene in which Anadarmus hologram takes over the body of Mackenzie Davis and you see them kind of like their faces meld and flashing between them as they make out with Ryan Gosling. And it's like bravo to the effects team on that because it's awesome. It's crazy. It's so well. That's like, that's when effects are cool. Is when you're yeah. doing something unique and like wild and just like something you've never witnessed before. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, and 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 leaves you with a how did they do that kind of feeling. Like it's 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 old school, man. It's like vaudevillian magic. It's like yeah, you know, like Houdini Pe- Pepper's stuff. ghost shit. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's like yeah. Also, I gotta say too, like the. Harrison Ford's Deckard, his like old man punches are so funny. I know, I know. <laughs> like I didn't remember him moving a little slower. Like Ryan yeah. Gosling is a little smoother in his movements. <laughs> yeah, and he's always doing this weird like uppercut. I love his like his, his... They feel like real punches, like that a seventy yeah. year old a seventy year old man would throw. Certainly. Yeah. Great old man energy. Like, <laughs> like I well, bet he, he was like sick. he's he's a fit seventy year old man, but he's still old. Yes. Like, yeah, but I, I think he's really I think he's really good in it. I think he feels like the stuff when he has to think talk about Rachel, mm-hmm. he's doing a really good job. He's yeah, very, oh, he's... very vulnerable. It's very emotive. Like, and you care about you, you see the pain mm-hmm. that he felt. But uh, speaking of that, so basically they beat the hell out of Kay and leave him to die. Yeah. But he's brought he's discovered by Somehow it's the we thought she was um, a sex worker, Mariette, killed by, by Mackenzie Davis. But it turns out she's part of maybe a replicant and certainly part of a rebellion of replicants. Yeah, this is like this is where like I feel like this is one of the weaker. Where well, this is the shoehorning in of the next se- of the sequel. Yeah, exactly. And like and the people like Mackenzie Davis is great. I love yeah. uh, the lady. She's like on succession. The lady who plays like the lead of the I rebellion. Am a, I am a boss. Who plays great Lisa. actor. Actress, yeah, and K and K is told it was a girl. Freya mm-hmm. was there, and Gosling. This is why you cast him. His soulful performance. He's so distraught. Yeah. Oh man. And he figures out. So earlier in the movie, there's this bizarre and really wonderful scene where he just he goes to visit. Dr. Anna Stylin, a replicant memory designer who lives under quarantine, basically, in this, like, dome. 
Yeah, she's a like a bubble boy. Bubble boy, but it's like a bubble that also can take you anywhere. And it's a gilded bubble cage. Another special effects marvel. Oh, it's so yeah. Once. What what? And it's like one of those things where, like, on paper, you think oh, maybe we can cut, but like, it's so. It's so cool. Yeah. Well, it's know. because what he realizes is that because he had this memory implanted in him that he's like, oh, but this would happen here. And I, you know, it has to be me. What he finds out is that it's her. Yeah. She's the daughter all along. And it breaks his fucking heart. But in a really great hero moment, it proves to him like it also convinces him of miracles that he can be a cog in the in the service of this miracle in a different way yeah which is by saving the day basically that's good stuff that is it's... good storytelling oh, it yeah. takes a oh. hell of a long time to get there mm-hmm. because like we were saying we don't necessarily care about deckard we care about k yeah and his story and ryan gosling's story the fact that he need he's so desirous to be kind of more there there's this hologram girlfriend who he makes name him Joe, like gives yeah. him a real name because he's not he even takes. given a name, which he takes. Like, yeah. Oh, and then to find out his like the moment where it all like really comes to play how sick because like, you know, Joy, arguably the only person in his or I guess device in his life that made him felt significant in any capacity to she like discover she's a product that everyone has. Yeah, she's a fucking yeah. toaster. She's a yeah. toaster. And maybe I'm a toaster. And I'm a which toaster leads, having... Which leads to maybe the most transcendent scene in the movie is where he naked purple joy as an advertisement is leaning down trying to entice him to buy the product again. And he's in the rain, it's a tears in the rain, yes. covered in blood, crying. Yes, and then and then she has like an insult in the wound. She calls him Joe. Yeah, she calls him Joe. Yeah, because it's like what she calls everybody. It's, yeah. Yeah. Because he thought he was the son of Deckard. Kay is the spiritual son of Roy, who just wants to be part of yes. the world and live and feel. Because if you caught Ryan Gosling, get him a couple of drinks, he would guarantee tell you he was more influenced by Rutger Hauer than Harrison Ford in his performance. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. But that leads Kay on his final mission, which is to rescue the kidnapped Deckard and bring him to his daughter, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. That works. It does. And we get our only real set piece major action sequence here where he and Love fight it out in in like the ocean. Which is really it looks great. Ryan Gosling gets his great hero moments to get to do a ton of cool stuff. He's um, wounded mortally multiple times in the combat. But somehow he drowns Love and saves Deckard. Now you did bring this up. Why on earth did Wallace design his perfect replicant love to have to breathe, thus to be drowned? I don't know. Should we think too heavily on this? Probably not. Probably not. It's like yeah. one of those things, yeah, where like I came, it, it does come to mind. And 
I'm kind of I am fine with it. I think in the, when I watched it initially in theaters, that bugged me a bit more than you know, it did. Yeah, but now here, here's some doing work for the movie. Maybe Wallace wants to know he can kill them. Yeah, to feel like more of a god, because mm-hmm. he probably could make them indestructible. But he chooses yeah. to let them be wounded, be bleed, all of these things. Like I would argue, Roy was tougher to defeat than any of the replicants in this movie. Oh, for sure. Well, and I think that's like part of it too. I think yeah. they say that like, he spells it they out. Tone it down. Intro. Yeah, yeah. Just the same yeah. thing they do with David DeWalter. Yeah. Oh, also a fun little thing uh, that I like that they know they don't like uh, dwell on too much. I love it that whenever someone dies around love or whatever, uh, she cries like a single tear. That's yeah. always like that's a fun little. Uh, There's some fun stuff. And when she yeah. thinks she's killed Ryan Gosling, she goes, "She's like, I knew I was the number, the best, the number one, Ooh, or something she, like that." It's so funny how like she is so you know you could compare her to like David, but she's really it's more like she's like Charlie's Theron. Yeah. Yeah. Who might be a replicant too? Ooh, never yeah. uh never totally clear. And because her and David like the way they look at each other, we talked a little bit about it, but it's all there. It's all there. Yeah. You can go back and rewatch Prometheus. So you can take guesses on that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. Yeah, by having Ian Holm not reveal he's a replicant or Android until like three-fourths of the way through Alien, really Scott opened up Pandora's box. Now there's questions about it, you know. Yeah, oh, everything. everything. And the fact yep. that him and Harrison Ford to this day still can't decide if if Deckard is a replicant or not. <laughs> but um, these, uh, Kay is in a, in a bad way, but yeah. he takes um, Deckard to visit Dr. Anna. And what I love here is this was a Denny idea. Denny wanted different weather throughout it, and he wanted a snow landscape. Mm. Which at first you're like, okay, neat. But it it to to get to Kay's conclusion, the visual design of Kay's conclusion, the snow landscape is very helpful. It looks yeah. beautiful. Oh man. Deckard goes into the science facility, Kay takes a seat on the steps and slowly falls backwards and presumably uh, is dead it's yeah it's a great visual it yeah but he's a hero in his death mm-hmm. and we get to a scene that i couldn't believe it it didn't move me at all this is what comes with having a daughter i think patrick mm-hmm. like i didn't have a daughter Ooh. when i saw blade runner 2049 the first time I walk in though, and I see the look on Harrison Ford's face when he sees her and puts his hand to the glass. Oh yeah, I moved, moved. It's moving. Yeah, and it is. Harrison performs it really well. He gets very childlike mm-hmm. in the moment, and it ends. I don't want another one. That's that's what I'm getting at. Sometimes you don't need to keep going. That was yeah. satisfying enough. Don't bring Decker. Don't drag 80-year-old Harrison Ford back into another one of these fucking movies. Oh, God, yeah. Like, we don't need, like, um, I don't need, like, the Rebellion. I don't need a miniseries. I know, they, but they're, yeah. but guess what they're doing? Yeah. Series. That's the next. Oh, Ridley, really, Scott, for, might direct the pilot. <laughs> Classical Ridley, classic Ridley sense. I mean, I'll be there. I'll be there slurping that bullshit up, I too. Know. So, I know, you know, I'd, I'm part of the problem. We are all part of the problem. Um, This movie was marketed beyond belief 
this was I mean, when we saw the trailer, I mean, everybody saw those Deacons visuals in the trailer and we're like, okay, that's the movie I want to see this fall. Like, yeah, everyone I knew was talking about it. It was L.A. And I guess that's an L.A. thing. Getting back to what we were talking about, the bubble. Mm -hmm. I did my improv 401 show with the best improv class I was ever a part of. Top to bottom, talent wise, everybody was like. It was so good. It was so much fun. We had a great time. The great Dave Tooney was our teacher. Like all that was happening for us. Did I go out for drinks with the improv team afterwards? No. Jen and I scooted from UCB Sunset down the street to the Arclight to go see Blade Runner 2049 on opening night. Hell yeah, Blair. <laughs> and we were like, I, I felt I was left a little cold. By did you see it at the Arclight as well? Uh, I think I did see it at the Arclight as well. And I think I, um, I think I, I was left cold as well, I believe. I think it's very like, there's like a way that the dialogue is delivered in this movie sometimes where it feels it, very like the chill. It's just a chilly picture. Yeah. Just in general, despite the fact I felt way more moved and engaged mm-hmm. this second screening of it, but it's, it's long, it's deliberate. Mm-hmm. And I think you're. Yeah. You know, deliberate's a great word. I feel like the deliberateness of the film, like if everything feels like it has to be, it feels like everything was done with purpose and it has to be delivered this way. And as a result, it kind of feels like you're watching like a ceremony or something at some yeah. times, like something that you, you can't interrupt or like. <laughs> Rather than a movie with like a, what's going to happen next, blood throwing yeah. your veins kind of movie, which is a Denny Villeneuve thing. Yeah, that's his deal. And sometimes I like that. Like, I don't oh, yeah. like, I, yeah, like, I kind of like the coolness because like the coolness of like Sicario, uh, it oh, allows I, the weirder moments to be juxtaposed, like the juxtaposition is so much starker. I, I like it more than the Atlanta greens clearing slop. Don't totally. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, it's so and like, I will say like the production design and like in terms of like blockbuster, I don't think a blockbuster has ever visually looked this good i think this, it's this is a... it's a it's a gorgeous movie it the money's it, there uh so i guess they shot it in hungary hungary in Budapest. yeah i saw that yeah uh and this was based off of ridley's experience with the martian mm. jimmy noted ridley dropped by set for one week it's the only time he was on set mm-hmm. oh hey, really him, him and harrison ford grumbling about if deckard was a replicant the entire time <laughs> uh, the movie was budgeted somewhere between 150 to 185 million dollars. It's on screen. Yeah, you see it. It's a lot of money, though, for a movie that's destined to be a cult movie. It's not. Yeah. It's not The Force Awakens. It's not The Fast and the Furious Ten. It's. No. It's too cold. It's too slow. Yeah, it's too like weird. The, it's too odd. Uh. It made a total worldwide of two hundred sixty-seven point seven million at the box office, which it's strange to say out loud that that's a financial bust, but it was, especially only ninety-two million in the United States. Did not cross hundred million in the United States. The total, the projected total they needed to break even was four hundred million, which, yeah. Um, Maybe movies. I feel like, yeah, we need to, like, it's gotten crazy that, like, the budgets have to be this big. It feels like people have to make these budgets this big. Maybe we need to do a scaling down of sorts. You need to figure this out. Yeah. Uh, 
Ridley Scott attributed it to um, leave it to Ridley. This is a, a, a post-mortem quote. It's too slow, long, too long. I would have taken a half hour out. Oof. Yeah. Uh, Denny Villeneuve spoke of the just a moment here. Spoke of the opening weekend disappointment. It's a mystery. All the indexes and marketing tools they were using were predicting that it would be a success. The film was acclaimed by critics, so everyone expected the first weekend's results to be impressive, and they were shocked. They still don't understand. It... Yeah. It just... It did not do well at the box office. Yeah, well... Uh, yeah, it doesn't yeah. have it doesn't have like it needs that, you know. Uh, ironically, uh, it's lacking that human element. Like it really is. Like I think, yeah, you were right. Like Denis is just not a warm. It's kind of a miracle in its own way that Dune is as successful as it is. Well, I think he, um, Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya. Yeah, that's true. That's that enough. That, so. That's um. That's what Wes Anderson does. It's yeah. the smartest thing you can do. Just cast yeah. cast movies the kids want to see. Stars kids want to see. Yeah. yeah. Um Blade Runner 2049 has a um 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. Visually stunning, narratively satisfying. Blade Runner 2049 deepens and expands its predecessor's story while standing as an impressive filmmaking achievement in its own right. Critics really liked this movie. Mm -hmm. um, overall. And I think because like something we were talking about is Denny Villeneuve makes very handsome. Yeah. Very well-crafted. Solid movies. Mm. He's not... He's not making, you know, he's like a lot of these guys used to get compared to like Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick is just too fucking weird. He's working yeah. in a different place. Denny Villeneuve is not a particularly weird filmmaker, but this was a well liked, well, well, um, you know, well received on the critical front movie. The Blade Runner 2049 was nominated for. I'm getting uh, five Academy Awards. Best visual effects, which it mm -hmm. won. Not surprising. Yeah, fair. Best sound mixing, best sound editing, best production design. Did not win any of those. And of course, it won best cinematography for Roger Deakins. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, I think when you talk to people about this movie, um, they've bounce between kind of what we've been saying which is yeah. a gorgeous highly crafted extremely well done but kind of empty in a weird undefinable way emotionally inert yes yeah uh in january 2020 20 um 2020 that's a year um <laughs> danny villeneuve expressed interest in revisiting the universe in a different way and did not want to make a direct sequel again. Would be if he was involved in a future version. 
in November of 2021, they announced Blade Runner 20, 2099, the Amazon Prime TV series. Oh, 50 boy. years after the events of 2049, Ridley Scott will serve as executive producer and potentially direct. That is the last we've heard thus far. But my guess is that this will be pushed through and it will be met yet again as the historic Blade Runner series has been met with obsession from a handful of people and complete and utter disregard for many others. Yeah. <laughs> a, uh, a, a, um, a wave of apathy. Because... While it is interesting for movie heads and people who really want to get into the weeds, Mm -hmm. questions of reality, humanity, and so forth, generally speaking, when you've had a tough week at the office or at the Mm -hmm. job with your kids, are not necessarily what you want to sit down for and get really existential. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side of that, the people who do want that tend to be the people who create things going forward. Yep. So I am I going back on that, I think Blade Runner 2049 is going to be one of the most influential movies of the next 20 years oh, in the yeah, blockbuster it's gonna, realm. It's going to be like a Velvet Underground thing. It's like <laughs> I think this is the way young people maybe if with a faster pace, but I think this is the way young this is the height, highest way young people want to see how movies look in the digital realm i think masterful effects but it's not it's modern yeah well Um, because like the chris nolan's the world the quentin tarantino's the world even wes anderson who's the most arguably the most influential filmmaker among young people um all fetishize film and kind of old school standards. This movie's cutting edge. Yeah. Too. And I think that that's important. I think Denny Villeneuve is in that zone. I think Dune 2 is going to be a massive movie. Yeah. Well, it has uh, has freaking Elvis in it. Well, you know, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it, yep. you mentioned Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet. It's like, well, adding Elvis and Florence Pugh who yeah. are all, arguably the next group of the hottest young actors. Yep. You know, I mean, the olds are like, where's Josh Brolin? <laughs> yeah. Know, I want to see, uh, I want to see my boy Stellan Starsgard. What's well, he up I'm, to? Chris Walken's in it. Oh yeah. He's like playing a, like the king Zamper, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, But I think it's going to be huge. I think the world is Denny Villeneuve's oyster. Hmm. I think he he will be, you know, he is in that group. Yeah. Of who, when we have, when we get like a hot property, or we want to like, you know, make a big fancy, but kind of high minded mm-hmm. movie of this ilk, he's going to be in that top three. He's going to be on every list. Yeah, he's going to be the guy they talk to after Nolan. Yep. Yeah. Or yeah. if, you know, and he's easier to deal with than Fincher. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, boy, go get crumbles. And I mean, I imagine he, 
he's going to be nominated for Best Director again for Dune 2. He was not yeah. for Dune 1. Um, it's weird because I thought he was going to have the Lord of the Rings effect for Dune Ooh. 2, or he'd, he'd win it all for Dune 2. But I think Napoleon, Killers of the Flower Moon, yeah. and Oppenheimer, among others. It's like he's the competition this year is pretty. Dune 2, Dune 2 better be awesome. Also, I will say, I am, if Denis Villeneuve is the Dune freak that he is, like, if Dune 2 goes well, I am actually would be excited for them to continue, like, onto the, because the the sequel, have you read any of, like, the Dune? I couldn't make it through the first book. Uh, Yeah, I feel you. I, I, I read it over the I read it with a reading group during the pandemic and I definitely felt at times that had if I didn't have a group that I was reading this with and I felt obligated to finish this book that I probably wouldn't because it's a dry it's much like the sands of Iraq it's very dry. I'll tell you this after this Blade Runner 2049 experience and I saw Rollerball for the first time ever at uh, the New Beverly earlier this week. Oh yeah. I think we said it before but I don't think I'm a sci-fi guy. I don't got to be. I don't think that's, so. That's there's a beautiful that's the beautiful thing about the world is the world's a wonderful tapestry and uh yeah. there should be things that you hate and things that you like. It's not I I respect it. I respect the people who have pushed the boundaries like the Philip K Dicks or the Ridley Scotts or the yeah, or, like, or any of that stuff. Or even like Kubrick, or like you know, or uh, no, uh, I, I think yeah. I think two thousand one is like the greatest English language movie of all time. But yeah, like in general, mm-hmm. it has to like hit like the existential stuff. Mm. I really find intriguing, but like the world building and kind of like you're not a lore the, the guy. Creatures and lore and myth, myth, the myth. Yeah, I think that's like I think that's a big generational. I think like there's a certain point where people became. I think Dodd, you were like the very maybe the last year of people that are not lore people, mm-hmm. or maybe there are. I mean, I think actually that could be. I think there's like you have cohorts. I feel like Kyle Clark's a lore guy. I bet I would imagine. But I uh, think yeah, and I think that I don't know. Like I. Yeah, you're not and, like interested in learning all the names of the members of the Moss Eisley Cantina or whatever. That shit doesn't it, which is good. Like that's that means I think that's I think that's like, yeah. No, I want to watch a movie, but like I just watched Mia Hansen Love's movie One Fine Morning. It's just about a young widow played by Leah Sado and her daughter, and her father has dementia, and they're trying to find the correct nursing home for him in paris and she's like my she's dabbling and maybe finding new love again Ooh. and i was moved and i loved i loved every second of it. yeah you yeah it's because you like movies for like adults <laughs> <laughs> you like you don't need like you don't need see that's the thing is like yeah there is like i think like the denny villeneuve like people some people like him i think he's kind of like the ham they think it's like ham surrounding the bitter pill of like serious cinema you know what I mean? Like yeah, he can, I, like he'll like his, his like sheen, his series, like his um. Although it's like the opposite. It's like it's like a it's like a ham with like a pill coating because I think like people think that like his sheen, his like his like serious aesthetic, his I treat myself serious style 
means that his movies are inherently serious. His movies yeah. about like I, space wars and yeah, exactly. It's like it's like no, it's it's got to be serious despite yeah. the fact it's about like sandworms. Yeah, well, and and that that's the thing. It's like I I actually kind of hope that he lets his like you know he and he uh, unbuttons his collar a bit because like. The move, the books get fucking weird. Like, so like too. Paul becomes a worm. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's it's possible if you've seen Enemy, you know it's in him. Yeah, he can be a weird man. So, like, yeah. I I kind of hope, like, yeah. So, like that stuff. I think if you can, like, like lean into the silly. But yeah, like, but like, because I don't want to see like de- the, yeah, like these movies aren't church. Like, you don't have to like. <laughs> well, some would argue that due to the lack of religion outside of zealotry in the United States, the Marvel worlds and the Harry Potter worlds and so forth have become mm. religion. Mm. Yikes. Hey, slow your roll and everything, <laughs> folks. But any, if you, like, tell us what you think about these movies. That's, yeah, I think that that's, like, yeah, all maybe. I want to know. I want to know, too, if people think we should, like, cover Denny Villeneuve as our last portion of this series to talk about someone working in the Working at the highest level in the Ridley Scott, one of the final people working in the Ridley Scott school within the mm-hmm. modern culture at the cutting edge. Check in with us at the Academy Academy podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Acad. Cad. Uh, also, uh, look into either of our individual pages on Letterboxd. We're up to a lot of stuff, watching all sorts of weird stuff all the time. You can see Patrick's thoughts, recent thoughts on Thin Red Line, my thoughts on <laughs> the nineteen seventy-five Italian film Kidnap Syndicate. Ooh. Like Yeah, my, all... my I think my thoughts on Thin Red Line, my review is just pretty good. <laughs> oh, my, my 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 review on uh Kidnap Syndicate was watched on the Criterion channel. <laughs> like <laughs> Yes. Move over, Gene Shallot. Indeed. Uh, uh Richard Brody's shaking in his boots. Uh, the finale, our next week on the show, is the finale of A Visionary Alliance, the Don Simpson-Jerry Bruckheimer story, in which we come almost full circle, and we find Jerry, Jerry Bruckheimer going back to the well, maybe in the same vein that Ridley Scott has gone with Alien and Blade Runner on this week, with 2022's blockbuster hit, Top mm. Gun Maverick. Uh, this is streaming all over the place. You can find it. I, I'm not gonna. You can, you can figure out how to figure find it out. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like Paramount Plus or something. Figure it it's out. It's all folks. over. It's, it's all, all over. Yeah. Um, we're also gonna be diving deep once again into 1986. Uh, frankly, a canonical Academy Academy movie. 1986 is Top Gun. Um, just to kind of compare, contrast, mm-hmm. look at different times, look how things have changed. Ooh. It, you know, because Top Gun Maverick sits in that slick modernism that we just talked about with Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, well, like, man, if you're talking about directors of, of a birds of a feather directing-wise, Joseph Kosinki and Denny Villeneuve, a lot of similarities. I think so. I think there's a lot of similarities. I think you've, Joseph Kosinski has not proven to me. Let's let's see him make a Sicario. Let's see him make an Arrival. Yeah, that's the... But, mm-hmm. mm, I, uh, I saw I saw Oblivion in Japan. Oh, Still cool! Weird. Yeah, I like, weird. <laughs> I, I I saw Burn after reading in France. That was a real blast. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. That is like, if, guys, if you're like on vacation somewhere, seeing a movie in that country's movie—that's a fun treat. That's the, yeah, that's, yeah. 
like I was just so fascinated with like burn after reading. Why are they laughing? Because burn after reading is like such a making fun of America movie. Oh yeah. So it was fun it, to see where they left. Yeah, see those ha ha haws where those haws landed. Plus, they were reading in subtitles. I was laughing quicker than they were. Ooh, making them all feel so insecure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the week after the finale of the Visionary Alliance is my um, now yearly tradition, my birthday episode. And Ooh. last year, we had a sensational time talking about our beloved Hong Sang Su. So, we're going to do it again this year in a with another current international filmmaker Ooh. with a deep dive into the work of German filmmaker, Christian Petzold. Um, very fascinating filmmaker um, makes wonderful kind of slow burn thrillers with, you know, influenced by America, but undeniably influenced by his home country and the history of his home country. Uh, I've been a fan for the last few years. Um, deeply pumped for his new movie. Come His new movie, A Fire, is released the same week as we're doing mm-hmm. this episode. So if you watch these movies, you get into them. On Friday, you can go see a brand new Christian Petzold movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be watching 2012's Barbara, 2014's Phoenix, and 2018's Transit for a Petzold triple feature. Barbara is currently on Tubi. Phoenix is currently on Tubi and the Criterion channel. And Transit is on Prime. So um, pretty available, all things considered. You don't have to work too hard to check Mm -hmm. out these films. I'm excited for that one. I'm excited to chat with you, Patrick, about him. I I love introducing some of these guys, you know, just to friends and... People I'm getting really excited about. I almost did the guy who did Pacifiction, Albert Serra, which would have been a wild time. You got to see that one. I'll talk talk about it. Our discoveries: the death of Louis the Fourteenth. The it's a oh man, I, mean, picture. I need to like but, yeah, because I need to I need to like Pacifiction. That's a long boy too, right? It's a long boy. Yeah. Ooh yeah, I got to cut a chunk of time out for that. But uh, yeah, two weeks. Christian Petzl next week though. Very similar to Christian Petzl. Top Gun. <laughs> the Top Gun celebration for the 4th of July. Whew, long one today, but a good one. So for Patrick, I'm done. Uh, we'll see you next week on the Academy Academy podcast. Oof, very good. Yes. Um, oh, man. Uh, time to have some uh, protein. Cells. 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 Interlinked, Interlinked. cells. Interlinked cells. 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 Have you... Have you lived in a house? Do you know a mouse? I blew it. I blew it. Oh, no. (laughs) Your baseline's all fucked up. My baseline's fucked. (laughs) Ah, Get out of here. No race. (laughs) Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is older, older than the trees, younger than the mountains. Growing like a breeze, country roads take me home.